Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's In My Head podcast. Today I'm joined by Rugrats co-creator Paul. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Oh, fantastic, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, it, it always amazes me when I get to talk or look at a piece of my childhood. You know, it never seems to amaze me when I have so many of you guys and gals that come on. And I didn't tell you this because I wanted to get your reaction, because I'm sure you heard this reaction quite often, you know, with fans letters. And when I had Miss Cheryl Chase on, you know, the voice of Angelica, she told me. Right. So I had her on not too long ago and I told her the same story. I was not allowed to watch the Rugrats when I was younger. And the main reason was because of Miss, the kindest person I've ever had really on here was Miss Cheryl Shea. She was such a sweet lady. <laughs> I was not allowed to watch this show because my mother oh, fucking hated Angelica, right? She could not stand <laughs> Angelica. She thought she was the meanest, biggest bully in the world and she would not have her kids act like that. So <laughs> taking, <laughs> taking a step back, man, I got to imagine that you had a lot of those fan letters like that from angry parents and maybe even angry kids, but taking a step back, do you remember where you and, and your two other co-creators were when the Rugrats idea popped up? Yeah, so it's a good, well, it's kind of a good story. I think you'll like this. So um, it was it was about 1989, right? And I had just uh, finished a job that I had been doing for years working at Gracie Films, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it. That's Jim Brooks's company. Mm -hmm. um, and I, in that capacity, I ran the, these one minute cartoons on the old Tracy Ullman show that became the Simpsons. So yeah. I was in charge of those and Matt Groening and I kind of put them together. It was his creation, but I kind of ran the production mm -hmm. of those and kind of learned about animation through that. Cause I, I didn't know anything about animation before that. I was a live action film guy. So yeah. I kind of stumbled into it, like slipping on a banana peel and suddenly <laughs> there I was. And, uh, and so, uh, at a certain point in 1989, I left that Gracie Films and I went to work for, for Gabor Chupo, who was the animation company in charge of producing The Simpsons. They didn't own it. They just did the production of it, yeah. right? And Gabor knew that, the, that when The Simpsons became a series, it was going to change everything, which, of course, it did do. Before that, there were no primetime animated shows. If you can imagine... The last primetime animated show before The Simpsons the was The Flintstones. Yeah. yeah. And so there'd been like 25, 30 years where there'd been no primetime animation. And suddenly when they put The Simpsons on, it suddenly took off again. And Gabor wanted to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So he, he hired me to come over and develop uh, um, shows for animated series so that when the studios came calling, he would have animated stuff to pitch them. Yeah. Well, he didn't understand what development was. Gabor's from, 
from Hungary, and he thought development meant you sat down and you came up with ideas. That's in traditionally in Hollywood, a development guy is the guy that that procures other people's ideas and finds other things and people and puts things together. But he's not the guy doing the creating himself. Gabor didn't understand that. And so he hired me to do this. And I thought, OK, I can create stuff. So I started sitting down and coming up with ideas for this, for what Gabor said. I know they're going to come looking for me and I want to be prepared. So I was coming up with ideas all through the summer of 1989. He hired me in June. And I was just coming up with all these ideas and I had all these notions and we'd hire artists to do, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, pitch board kind of artwork for the show. So I had a, a bunch of different ideas to pitch. And then at the end of that summer, so really just three months later, sure enough, uh, this small, this, this, this network that I'd never heard of called Nickelodeon, um, because yeah, right. They, but before before they did the three cartoons of which Rugrats was one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon was a was a was a was the first um, a cable network for kids, and all they did was show old old you know Warner Brothers cartoons, and they had a few really cheap live action shows that they were shooting in Florida, and that was it. And they were making money hand over fist, and they had suddenly somebody had figured out, hey, you know, if we do our own animation, we can own it because the networks can't. The networks were not allowed by law in those days to own their own stuff. But Nickelodeon, because it was a cable, it wasn't officially a network, they could own their own material. You know why? So, um, there was a law that goes back to, the, I believe, the 1950s mm -hmm. controlling the networks. To be, there was nothing but network TV. Yeah until like the 1970s or 80s. Mm -hmm. So there was a law going back to the 50s that that networks could not own their own shows. They had to license them from somebody else. Gotcha. And that's how that arrangement worked for 40 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. But it started to fall apart because of cable, because it didn't cover cable. Yeah. Does this make sense? So the cable yeah. companies could own their own material and they started making, making hay with that. Mm -hmm. So Nickelodeon came to to Klasky Chupa, we didn't know who they were, but they came to us and said, hey, we're going to be, we want some animated shows. Do you have anything to pitch us? And as a matter of fact, we do. So we set up a meeting for the end of that summer. summer so this must have been, I want to say September 1989. It might have been yeah. August. I don't remember anymore. And I was the guy who was going to pitch the shows. Mm -hmm. So I'm putting together all these little ideas that I had. I remember I had like, like, like a, a, a city of bugs was one of my ideas. I had another one about a, uh, a kid stuck in a, on a planet in outer space, all these different <laughs> ideas I had. And I had artwork for him. And the night before the pitch, Arlene Klasky, who was, she was married to Gabor. So together they owned this company and she was a graphic designer and he was an animator mm -hmm. and they owned the company and I was working for them. And they came to me and they said, or Arlene came to me, she had taken off time to have a kid. She had her second kid and she was, she was not really coming into work. And she came to me and said, I have a great idea for an animated show. And I said, tell me what it is. And she said, let's do a show about babies. I said, okay, what about babies? And she goes, you know, it could be like 30 something for kids. We yeah. could call it one something. It could be about, you know, little babies and what, how, what their lives are. Maybe you could hear them talk. And I said, hmm. Well, that's an interesting topic, but what's this? What is it? What's the show? She said she didn't really know what I meant. Yeah. So I went home that night. So it's the night before the pitch and I go home 
and I'm thinking to myself, babies, babies, what do I do with babies? And I, I was going to sleep thinking about babies. And I had this, just as I was falling asleep, I had this memory mm-hmm. of, of my, my, uh, my little brothers. I was the oldest of four boys, right? Yeah. And my youngest brother is eight years younger than me. And I remember when he came up, when he was, when my mom brought him home from the hospital, mm-hmm. right? And so I had three other brothers and, you know, and they were like, they were rough and tumble, always fighting and carrying on and all that stuff. And here was this baby, right? He was the youngest brother. And I remember they brought him into the house. He's eight years younger than me. I'm eight years old. He's a newborn baby. I go into the room where he is. My memory is that I look at him and he's sitting in his crib and he's drooling and he can't focus his eyes and he can't lift his head up. And I'm looking at him and I think to myself, in my eight-year-old mind, I think he cannot be this dumb. He cannot (laughs) be this stupid. He's faking us out. I know what boys are like. It's the long game. Yeah. He's got some plan. I bet when we leave the room, he gets up and does stuff, right? Because yeah. he can't be like this, right? And, you know, and I, so I sort of remember this and I kind of, and I was going, oh, it's kind of funny. And I, and I, and I, I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and I remembered thinking this and I thought, and I wrote something down. I grabbed a piece of paper and I wrote something down. Okay. So I go into the pitch at, at Nickelodeon and I'm pitching all the stuff that I've done. I pitch my first idea, mm-hmm. right? Which was, which I had like, five pieces of color artwork and I have my idea and I pitch it to the, to, to Vanessa coffee, who was the executive from Nickelodeon. And she listens to it and she goes, nah, nah, what else you got? I go to my next idea. My next idea is like, I have two pieces of artwork and a little bit less, you know, some writing, but a little bit less. She doesn't like that either. I go to my next one, my next one, she's rejecting everything. No, 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 no. So now I'm down to my one liners ideas. I'm down to ideas that I've come up with most recently, and I haven't had time to develop artwork for them. And the last one that I pitched was, okay, a bunch of incognizant little babies, but it turns out that when the adults leave the room, the babies talk. Mm-hmm. And she said, that's it. <laughs> and that's how I sold Rugrats. Now, that, that's insane <laughs> for one when you think about it, because not only did you have the foresight to sit there and write something down, right as you're... Because that's that's one thing that I, I I try to do now because I'll have a great idea whether it's you know something to bring up or something to talk about or a guest and then it always happens either right when you're in the shower you know right when you're about to go to sleep me it happens in the first ten minutes after I spark my first joint I'm like oh shit I need to write that down so I don't forget it right because I'll I'll think of like oh these are great ideas and then I end up forgetting them the next morning so not only do you have the foresight to sit there and write that down. But to sit there and pitch that in the in, in the in the pitch room, speaking of pitches for just a second, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think I've ever asked this question for anybody that's actually pitched a show. When you go in there to pitch to executives, do they give you like do you have a time frame type of thing? Like we're going to talk to you for an hour or is it like, oh, fuck, this is boring five minutes into it and they get up and leave type of thing. How does that how does that pitch it's, it's different? It's different. For one thing, it's it's different now than it was then, but it's also different at different places. There's no set rules. Usually your meeting is an hour long. It, listen, you you need to, if you take too long to do a pitch, you're not going to sell it because yeah. executives have very low attention spans. They're all ADHD guys <laughs> and they, they can't pay attention to anything. So you have to catch them right away or they yeah. just they just start their eyes start wandering you can tell they're not into it and you're not going to sell anything and most of the time you don't sell anything anyway most of the time it doesn't go well you pitch 100 pitches and one of them 
comes up with something. This was my first pitch in my life and I sold something and I thought it was going to be that way for the rest of my life. <laughs> Boy, was it not. <laughs> so, you know, it just, that was just lucky, right? I had no idea how lucky I was. You know, my, my partner, Joe, who I think you've, you've spoken with Joe and Solibear, yeah. he tells me, you have no idea how lucky you were. You just, you just like, it's like you, you hit the jackpot, you know, you, 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 you won the lottery. I didn't know that. Right. But, Usually a pitch is you, 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 you're, you're just trying to get someone's interest. Mm -hmm. You're trying to tell it quickly. You want people to laugh. You want to say something funny to get people to laugh or, or that just that they get the concept. It has to be simple. Yeah. And that was kind of a perfect one. It was so simple. Right. And they just got it. And then everything else was, it came later. Every, every other detail of the show, who the characters were, what their relationships were to each other what their personalities are like, all that stuff came later. It was really incognizant babies. When the adults leave the room, the babies talk and we learn what they're thinking. That's it. That was the whole pitch. That's wild, man. Looking back on it now, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be able to be in that same headspace you were, you know, because I want to say you came up with this, this, this show only because I'm, you know, narcissistic right now, but I was born August 13th, 1989. So we're going to, I would love <laughs> to say, oh, you came up with this show on August 13th, 1989. It's a great, it's a great year. Let's say uh, I did. Yeah, there you go. Play into the ego here, Paul. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but looking back though, you know, fuck man, it, it's, it's almost been what, 30, 30 years, 40 years, shit. And eight years will be 40 years. So 30, 30 yeah, 32 years ago. Uh, it's wild when you think about it that long ago, man, you came up, you guys came up with the show and started creating the show. Um, but, but looking back then, did you think out of all of the things you were pitching that that would be the one that they, they would absolutely not. I thought they'd like some of the ones that I developed and done all this work on and, and had thought about really carefully and it kind of mapped out. I had, that's what I thought they were going to do. This was a, a last minute desperate pitch of something I thought of the night before. Not at all. I had no idea that was going to be the one. And part of the reason that it was the one is that um, it turned out that what Nickel the way Nickelodeon saw itself, it, mm -hmm. the way it imagined what the people at Nickelodeon imagined was what they were going to be, right? Because they were still kind of forming themselves. Mm -hmm. And they were, if you remember, if you think back to Nickelodeon back in the day, you think of, it was always kids, you know, everything, you're smart, your parents are dumb yeah. and they don't know anything and you're where, where, where it's really at. MTV vibe type to it. Right. That kind of thing. That's what Nickelodeon, I didn't know that, but that's mm -hmm. what Nickelodeon, how it was imagining itself and what it would come to be. And it, because of those three, you know, uh, Rugrats and Doug and, and Ren and Stimpy, right, it was going to become this, but it wasn't quite that yet. They knew that. I didn't know that. And it just so happened that the thing I pitched just serendipitously fit what they were doing right it was about the adults don't know anything and the babies are, are they can talk and they know stuff and the adults don't it fit perfectly with what they were about to do but i had no idea that was just luck what is it what does it feel like to be a pillar of a company like that i mean <laughs> you you got you just said it right there those are three of the biggest shows of all time you guys with rugrats doug and ren and stempy i mean when you think about it, I mean, at, at, for most people, that's Mount Rushmore level right there for a lot of fans. <laughs> but what does it feel like, like legitimately, like what does it feel like to know that you helped? I don't want to say you helped prop up that company, but you helped prop up that company. We helped. I want to say that we helped define it. 
-hmm. know, we helped to find what it was going to be. Um, and, and how did it feel? Well, you know, that's not what, again, it, you have to understand that when you're doing this stuff, all you're concentrating on is trying to make a great show. You're not thinking about how, you know, you, you kind of have a sense that you'd like to affect people, that you'd like it to be something that would change their lives and affect them and that they would be fans of, but you don't know that that's going to happen. And you don't imagine that. I mean, I didn't imagine that was going to happen. I just thought I'm going to do a good show. I thought to myself, all the cartoons that I remember growing up in the 1960s and seventies, I thought these, these treat me like I'm an idiot. They think I'm stupid. They think kids are stupid. And I think I never have thought that. I've always thought kids are smart. Mm-hmm. I remembered what what I remembered how I felt. I wanted something that didn't talk down to me, that treated me like I had a brain. Yeah. That that it gave me real conflict and real pride. That right? You know, there would be real problems that had to be solved. And I like that stuff. I wanted to do a kids show that would treat kids like they were smart and could figure things out. Yeah. And that's what Rugrats was to me, that it caught on and became the hit that it was. We didn't know that was going to happen. Nobody imagined that that was how things were going to go. So looking back now, though, because back then, like you said, you were just trying to make the best show possible. Mm -hmm. But looking at it where you're at now, knowing everything you know now, you guys are a pillar for that company. Does that (laughs) do you feel like, wow, man, we we did something. We helped a company grow from something that somebody thought of that. And to be honest, nobody really knows what's going to happen whenever they start. Like same thing with Cartoon Network. When Cartoon Network, they're like, you're just going to run cartoons all day. Like somebody's going to tune into that. Like, yeah, it's one of the biggest channels out there. It's the same thing with Nickelodeon, man. So, so looking back now, where you're at now, does it, do you feel like, oh shit, this is, this is weird. Does it feel cool? I mean, what does it feel like to be Paul on a regular basis? What, what it feels, let me put it this way. It doesn't, I don't care about corporations. I mean, my, without getting into the weeds here, I don't care about corporations. I think corporations are, are getting in our way and are the worst things yeah. in the world, honestly. I don't have any respect for them or love for them. I like working, I like doing my work. I like doing creative work. I like making shows and, and I get to make shows because of them, but mm-hmm. because of what they are. But I don't particularly care about them. And I don't think they particularly care about creators like me. I don't think it makes any difference to them. What I care about is that I've had an effect on, on people like you who grew up with my shows and come to me from time to time and say, you really had an effect on my life. I learned things. I, I, I felt like you understood me. I felt like you, 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 you explained things to me. You taught me about things. And I, I don't mean that as like, uh, uh, pedagogical way. I don't mean like, oh, like yeah. we taught you valuable lessons. It was more like that they could look at my show and they could relate to it and they could feel like there was somebody who got them yeah. and there was somebody, something they could learn from that and take it somewhere. That's what I love. And I, I you know, and now I'm looking at people that are adults like you, mm-hmm. you know, and not babies, not like, you know, like 20 year olds in college, but, you know, grown ups leading lives that, that these shows had an effect on that feels fabulous that feels so good so what you're saying is people with a little white in their beard is what you're saying paul is that what you're saying <laughs> you got no white in your beard it's all red i can yeah, see that no 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 i promise you I, like so you will you will age gracefully i've said it a few times on this podcast so i apologize to the fans you will age gracefully with a little salt and pepper i've got ketchup and mayo going on right here paul. it looks horrible <laughs> well i don't have any pepper anymore it's all salt now <laughs> 
So, you know, take, taking a, taking a step back into the direction before I, I sidebar this there for a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. Rugrats coming around, man. Uh, one thing that I absolutely loved about this show was everybody had a character for them. Right. Everybody could see themselves as a Tommy, as a Chucky for, for, for one thing, especially being a redheaded dude. I don't feel like there's much representation for, you know, for redheaded folks. Um, you know, we're usually the people that have to stay inside because we're allergic to the sun. You know, we got bad skin. We talk funny. We look funny. But one thing I absolutely loved was the fact that Chucky, he was so endearing. He was he was such a great character. And you guys and it didn't hit me as hard as when I was a little kid as it did as an adult or even a teenager. And I think you know where I'm going with this, with what I'm talking about with Chucky. That Mother's Day episode, right, with Chucky ripped my heart out of my chest, man, especially going back and looking at it as an adult now. Um, I absolutely love that character. I always thought I always wanted to be a Tommy, right? Everybody wants to be Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to be Tommy, right? But I wanted to be Scottie Pippen, man. I wanted to be Chucky. I wanted to be somebody's second, right? Well, I'm going to say one thing to correct you. The boys all wanted to be Tommy. Mm-hmm. The girls all wanted to be Angelica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but go on. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries at all, man. I, I really enjoyed just Chucky. And before we get into, you know, the Mother's Day episode and then, um, you know, coming up with the characters and everything like that. Uh, one thing I've started doing when an actor and actress has passed on is bringing up them and then just seeing if, if you know, whenever we, we talk about them, if you guys and gals that have had on have, have an interesting story or a fun story you might have had with, with somebody that's no longer here. You know, I did it with my uh, Ninja Turtles with uh, James Avery. You know, he was Mr. Or Doc, uh, damn, Uncle Phil and, and Fresh Prince, and then as well as the Shredder in the 87 TMNT series. Um, but do you have any cool stories about, uh, you know, our favorite, favorite redheaded child chucky but do you have anything for mrs cavanaugh that you that you absolutely love when you think about when you hear her name christine uh, see well i will tell you this i directed all the voices on the episodes that i did for the for the i did the first three years of rugrats and then i left the show so i will tell you even though you didn't ask me i had nothing to do with the mother's day episode that happened after i left (laughs) yeah but but um the first three years, the first, the first, I think it was actually five seasons. Maybe it was three, whatever it was. We did 65 half hours, which is 130 shows. Yeah. And I was the, I kind of ran all of those at the beginning of the series and I directed the voices. So I worked extensively um, with Christine, right? Mm-hmm. She was maybe the finest actress I ever worked with. Yeah. She was she brought personality to that character. She brought emotion. You just, she would just blow my mind every time, you know, and I were, they were, all of the actors were really good, but she brought this emotional reality to Chucky that I think made the character. The reason that you relate to Chucky aside from the red air (laughs) is that, is that Chucky was, Chucky represented the emotions of being a kid, fear and, the, the the fearfulness and the and the and the the bravery of being kid mm-hmm. that's what he ended up being and i'll tell you how we got there in a minute but but christine brought that out in ways that that just blow my mind when i think about it and then uh around about the 90s she left the business mm-hmm. and uh, honestly i wasn't working on the show at that time 
I ran into her working on something. I brought her in for an episode of Recess that kind of went a little haywire, to be honest with you. She was having a lot of troubles back then, and she went, she left the business. And, yeah. you know, she. this was right after she had done uh, the, the voice of... Um, Dexter's Lab. No, the pig. Uh, oh, Babe. Babe. She did Babe. And then after the first one, they did a second movie, and she didn't want to do the voice. Mm -hmm. And people were thinking what i mean that's a big hit why wouldn't you want to do it yeah but she didn't and right after that she kind of left the business altogether mm -hmm. and then eventually she passed away and i don't know the details of that it's very sad she was a really lovely talented person and i i was really sad to see that yeah i always like i said i always i talked about it with uh, a few other people and i had charlie adler on and mm -hmm. uh, I asked him that same question. Like I said, it, it I, I like to use this just for, you know, us fans that might not have gotten not, not so much to meet them, but, you know, we don't get to hear too much about them because, you know, she did, she did pass a little while ago. Um, but she played, you know, just listing some of the characters. I mean, she was Chucky and Rugrats. She's Oblina and all real monsters. She was Dexter in Dexter's lab. I mean, you know, so she touched so many people's lives through so many generations. And there's a lot of these kids, like my, my, my oldest son, um, you know, he'll always come up and he'll ask me like who I'm talking to today. And he'll be like, Oh, what did he or she do? And, I, and I'd tell him. And then kids today, I mean, kids have always been smart, but especially today they have, they have fucking the internet in their pocket. Right. So they can just go and type in your name or you can type in whatever show you've worked on. And then by the time I get back downstairs the next morning, he's binged the entire first season of whatever it is. He's like, yeah. dad, you remember this, this, that. And I'm like, no, man, I haven't seen this shit in 30 years. I work for a living. I don't have time to sit here and watch cartoons all the time. So no, let me think about it. And then I'll, I might remember some of this stuff. Um, but, you know, so I like bringing these type of stories up or, you know, because it, it's, it's sad that they're no longer here, but it's fun that we get to have, you know, some kind of memory of this person that we, that we grew up with. And we, you know, it, it's, it's just refreshing is what I'm getting at. So thank you for sharing that story. Sure thing. Um, but getting back to, to how you were saying you were flushing out the character's idea or how the characters, how they came to be as they are, you know, with the original cast and crew how did all of these characters start to come to play in your mind for you i mean was this a round so, pitching or how did well they here's what happened in the pitch there were no characters it was just a concept mm -hmm. right what nickelodeon said to us we're gonna if we go forward with this and 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 they did and we thought they would mm -hmm. we're gonna need a pilot for this yeah. well and so the pilot the pilot that we did the only characters that were in it were were um, Stu and Dee Dee and Grandpa, Phil and Lil, and Tommy. That's it. No, and 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 the dog. <laughs> that was it, right? Um, uh, it it was just a way of explaining the concept of a talking baby and an adventurous talking baby, right? Um, this was an episode that was never on. That was never aired. We we really? we yeah we we the pilot was about Tommy. See, here's the toilet and he walks toward it, he thinks it's alive that's the pilot it had nothing there was no chucky there was no angelica it was tommy phil and lil to talk to these twins that he talked to and grandpa really and 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 Stu and Dee sort of in the background grandpa's sort of in the background too that was it um so we did that pilot it was a great it's a really great pilot it was directed by peter chung who's a really really talented animation director it's just a really 
exciting pilot, um, yeah. but really just gives you the concept and doesn't really give you much about the characters, right? You get that Tommy's an intrepid kind of explorer kind of guy, but that's yeah. all you get, right? All right, so then we, we did the pilot. Six or seven months later, they tested the pilot, it tested through the roof, and they decided to pick up the series. Well, now we have to do an, a series, which means we can't just rely on this one character. I've got to have a cast of characters. You can't do a series unless you have characters that can interact. And so we had to say, well, what are the characters? So um, Craig Bartlett, who was my first story editor on the show, yeah. and I started to try to figure out who are the characters going to be. So we had the idea that Tommy's this ex intrepid explorer, this brave guy. Right. As you said yourself, he was the one you wanted to be. That's yeah. kind of purposeful. He's the hero. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you if you've got a guy who's a hero, you're always looking in when you're developing characters for conflict. You're always trying to to say if this guy is pushing this way, you want to. I mean, I'm sorry, I won't do it toward the camera. This guy's <laughs> pushing this way. You want another guy pushing this way. You yeah. want you want conflict. Right. Yeah. That's how that's what drama is. Right. So and I learned this from working at Gracie Films for, for Jim Brooks's company. That's where I learned about this stuff and also from film school. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I've got an intrepid explorer that always wants to venture forth, what would be the opposite of that? And that would be, what if I have a guy who's like his best friend, but who's kind of afraid of the world mm -hmm. and who doesn't, who wants to pull back and say, I don't want to go forward. I want to go backward. Let's just stay here where it's safe, right? Mm -hmm. So hero, sort of I, I hate to say coward but frady cat that's what we yeah. would call chucky so that was the initial relationship we had right gabor had come to me with a character that he had someone had designed it i don't know who it was maybe he designed it I'm not sure but he came to me with this this picture of what became chucky right this little red-headed kid with glasses and he said yeah. this is i can see this guy as the bully and i go that doesn't look like any bully i ever knew <laughs> and i said i don't think that should be a bully well if that he's not a bully we we, we kind of made him chucky well who is the bully mm -hmm. and i thought well i love the idea of a bully but i said let's do something different and i thought when i was a kid growing up in in at this point in san diego i lived in los angeles and san diego growing up as a kid uh, at that time, I was it, it, when I was living in San Diego, there was this girl who used to pick on me. This girl bully used to terrorize me in fifth grade, right? Um, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool to do a girl bully? I haven't seen that before. And that's how Angelica was born. So, no, Chucky's not going to be a bully. He doesn't look like a bully. Let's make a bully. Let's create a bully from whole cloth. So we had we said, let's do this female bully. And what? why would she be a bully? Well, let's say she's a little older than Tommy. Tommy's like a newborn. He's a year old. The first episode that we produced was his first birthday, right? Mm -hmm. So Tommy's a year old. We said, Chucky, so Tommy's Tommy's kind of naive and he wants to go into the world and explore it because he has such a naive idea of the world. Mm -hmm. So let's say Chucky's a little older. Let's say he's two. So he's had a little bit of experience with the world and it scares the hell out of him. That's him. <laughs> okay. Then what's this bully? Well, what if this bully, we thought, Somebody, one of the, somebody on the, on, uh, maybe this was my idea. I can't even remember anymore. It may have been one of my writers, but we, we were trying to figure out, well, what would this bully be? And we said, what if she's older than the others? So she's three. So she can talk to the babies, but she can also talk to the adults, mm -hmm. right? So she's a bridge between the two worlds because 
the original concept of Rugrats, the babies and the adults never communicate. Yeah. That's a key part of the show. They never talk to each other. They're two different worlds. So you'd see the adult world and you'd see the kid, the baby world. And that's it. They don't, they don't communicate. They don't understand each other. They don't really, they're not really paying attention to each other. Sometimes the kids are paying attention to the adults. The adults are oblivious to the kids. It was part of the fun of the show. The adults were us. We were doing ourselves <laughs> as parents. It's like, First yeah. time fuck up parents. That's what the adults were, <laughs> right? So everything that you did wrong, everything we saw ourselves doing wrong is first time parents. Because I was, I had just turned 30 and had my first kid mm-hmm. who was named Tommy, by the way, nice. um, uh, uh, and is now, you know, 32 years old. But in those days, <laughs> he was just an infant. So, so. Does he get royalty checks? <laughs> no, but he's, he told me that he used to go into bars when he was in college and say, you know, Tommy Pickles was based on me. Please tell me he got some kind of ask for that. That's what I want. I, I, I don't know the details. You'd have to ask him. He's he's a journalist now. He works for Consumer Reports, oh, believe nice, it or not, man. New York. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so 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 Tommy was the intrepid guy. Chucky was the, 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 the afraid guy. Angelica was had more knowledge than the others. They all looked up to her and she used her knowledge of the world, which is all wrong, by the way. She, everything yeah. she ever tells them is wrong, oh, yeah. but she thinks she knows everything and they're convinced that she's right. And she also bullies them. So she uses knowledge against everybody. Right. She mm-hmm. manipulates the adults. So the reason she's called Angelica is because she was all angelic and sweet around the adults and a monster around the kids. That was the original concept. Right. Which is why she's called Angelica. And and, you know, and when we cast Cheryl to do the voice, it's like that piercing voice, you know, that voice that like adults think ah, I can't stand it. But I, I loved it because she, and and what was interesting is, as, as you were saying about your own mom, she was saying, oh, I think this is a bad lesson for kids. And we yeah. said, no, this is real. This is what kids are. There can be a, we had this strong powerful female character mm-hmm. girls all over the country related to it but people people we would get notes from from people at the company saying to us i don't like angelica she's too mean and we'd say yeah she's mean she's the villain have you ever heard of a nice villain she's the bad guy you know she always gets her comeuppance but that was the whole point of angelica right yeah. um so that was the initial that was the core thing phil and lil we called them the peanut gallery they were just there for jokes they really didn't they would and they were perverse, you know, they would like they would like dirt, filth and dirt yeah. and eating worms and stuff like that. That's what they were. They were mostly comic. Right. And they were a boy and girl twin. They were twins. They were identical twins, but one's a boy and one's a girl, which if you know anything about twins, that's not it possible. Work, yeah. <laughs> um, but we we thought that's hilarious. Let's do that. And that was the core group. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So that was the core group of kids. And then again, the parents were the parents kind of were a secondary thought. We knew we had Stu and Dee Dee, this guy who's a toy create inventor, which relates to kids, mm-hmm. and this mom who's trying to do all the right stuff and is can't get it, but it never works. That was Dee Dee. And then we had grandpa who was like kind of understood the, the kids in a way that the that the, the, the younger generation of adults don't. So yeah. he was sort of, again, a little bit of a bridge. He didn't really know what was going on, but he understood them better. He just yeah, got a them a conduit for them. Yeah, right. It's a little kind of bit of a conduit for them. Then we started inventing the parents of the of the other kids. So we had um, 
um, uh, uh, Betty and Betty being this kind of, I wanted to have, I love tough women. I like strong yeah. women. And I thought that would be fun to have this really strong woman. So Betty was there and, and, uh, and we had Charles senior came way later. We, we didn't, I think for the first, at least half season, maybe whole season, we didn't have a father. We didn't, Chucky was always being brought over by somebody else. And you go, well, where's this yeah. kid's parents? And we had to invent it. So we kind of, we did a father who's like Chucky. So, so really the baby is the father of the father, if that makes yeah. sense. Ch Chuck senior, Charles senior is like Chucky grown up. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's how we got to, to, to Charles senior. So that's the characters. That's kind of the main characters of the, of the gang. So whenever somebody is in a creative endeavor, you always see a piece of somebody in something or a piece of something in somebody. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question thousands of times at this point in your career. Who do you see yourself as and why? Definitely Chucky. Definitely. Absolutely Chucky. Chucky. I always, I, I was kind of a fearful kid, I think, or I, I mean, I was a little, we're all a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. but Chucky was my, my partner, Joe, uh, still my partner after all these years. Mm -hmm. uh, I, he was a guy that I went to film school with and I hired him and Steve Vixton, who he probably mentioned to you yeah. as, as writers, Steve's writing. I knew from back in film school and I knew he was really good. I hired the both of them to come in. And as it turned out, Joe and I were so, we just understood each other so well that we became partners, but that was years later. I knew Joe from, from, from 10 years before that, but yeah. we hadn't really become, we kind of knew each other. We were acquaintances, kind of friends, but not good friends until after Rugrats. Mm -hmm. um, but Joe's, Joe latched on to, to Chucky and said, I get this guy. I get fear, the, the fear of things like potty training and going down the slide. Yeah. Those are maybe my favorite episodes. They're the emotional ones. They aren't the funniest ones. They're funny, but they're mostly emotional. They're yeah. like conquering your fear. And, and those are my favorite episodes of Rugrats um, were the ones with Chucky. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve Vixton, Joe's partner and my other friend, he loved Angelica. He ran with it. He came in and he goes, I love this character. Mm -hmm. She is so bad. I love her. And so he just started, he just started doing Angelica. And he wrote maybe the funniest episode that I can think of of Rugrats, which is Angelica Breaks a Leg. Do you know yeah. that one? That's pure Steve. It's just the funniest episode. It's like it builds beautifully. It's just really, really great, funny episode. So he just ran, ran with comedy and with Angelica, like the bad girl being funny. That was his thing. So we had and that was kind of part of what was great about the show, I think, was that all these different people, the artists and the writers and everybody were pulling the show. I want to do tell this kind of a story. I want to tell this kind of a story and pulling it in all these different directions. And that just gave it this fabulous variety. It was not it was it had a unified vision, I like to think. Mm -hmm. But it also told all kinds of different stories that took it in all kinds of different directions. So. That's what I think. It, it's just there's so much to see. And like every story was totally different from from the ones before it. And there'd be you'd get two stories in in a half hour and they'd be so much so different from each other and so much fun on their own. And that was because of all these great writers that were all adding their own sense to things, which is what I think the best TV shows are. A hundred percent, man. When you've got a hundred different ways of looking at something you're going to cover a basis for almost everybody and everything is very cohesive that's what i loved about this original run of this show it was so 
fun, even though I had to sneak around so I could watch this. So there was, I told this to, I think, David Stephen Cole, which was the head writer for Courage the Cowardly Dog, our Halloween episode, ladies and gentlemen, um, available now on YouTube. Uh, I told him that there's a few shows that I actually had to sneak around to watch and Rugrats was one of them. Rocco's Modern Life was the other one. And then, oh, wow. uh, oh shit, why am I blanking? And Living Color was the third one. Those oh man, three, okay. Those, and, and like I said, I was born in 89. So these shows are all coming out. I, I didn't get to see, I don't think I saw Rugrats in its initial like first real run. It's probably a lot of reruns is what I was seeing in 95, 96, 97 is when I started seeing those original episodes. Um, well, believe it or not, that's years. when the show took off. They put it on, it, it had been running. They, we had, they did, they did the first 65 half hours and then they stopped production. And I left the show and moved on to other parts of my life doing recess and other things. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, after not, after running the show and reruns and it doing better and better, they decided let's put it on prime time, which it hadn't been before. And they put it on at like, I think seven o'clock or eight o'clock and it took off all over again. And that's about the time you came in and saw it. Yeah. So, th and then they did a whole bunch of new episodes, but that I wasn't involved after, after that. Well, speaking on that for just a second, do you remember, I, I just started hearing these things about working title. It came up in my last episode I did uh, with the big picture show also available now. And it seems like I'm just fucking running commercials for my show right now, Paul. So I apologize, but uh, they were talking about a working title for a, uh, a movie that they were working on. Was the working title, the same thing as the original, the Rugrats, or was it something else or how the Rugrats we kind of come about? It was, I came up with it. It was, uh, it was a term. It was an old, believe it or not, it was an old Navy term really? for, for little kids. Yeah. Navy guys would talk about the rugrats, you know, the, 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 the rats running around in the rug, right? The little kids. I don't remember how I first heard it, but around that time in the late eighties, I think I, it was before I came to, to class, Kichupo, somebody had said it and I thought it was such a funny term. Mm -hmm. There's this old, you know, this kind of, half derogatory but kind of funny term that that navy guys would use i guess yeah. that's the story i heard i don't know if that's true and i just remembered it and when i was thinking what's a name for the show i wanted something really catchy and clever mm -hmm. and we came up with rugrats and people said people are going to think it's a it's a cartoon they're going to think it's a show about rats you know <laughs> like like mice or something you know and i said no 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 that's the great a great name and it caught on so it, it really is so. i think we i think we had it as I recall, we had it on the on the pilot. In fact, it was it was on the pilot for the show. So we came up with it pretty quick, like back in about the end of 1989 or early 1990, when we were still kind of developing the show, we came up with it. So pretty early. Yeah. Um, with with that being said, and, you know, so we've, we've talked title, we've talked characters. Um, one thing I absolutely love about shows that that mean a lot to me is not only the entire show, but the content, but it's also how it starts and how it finishes. You guys have a distinct opening when it comes to Rugrats. I love how you're walking in the world. Like you're, you're a part, you're like a baby with the, with the, with the, with the crew of kids, but you're not seeing, like, that's the way I look at it. Whenever I see the opening for Rugrats, right? It starts out where Tommy's going on all this shit. So it looks like it's in your eyes. You're seeing all of this shit happen and you're walking through his world and seeing what he sees but from your perspective how does an opening like that really work as far as the creators go do you guys have complete input or is this another no, we had complete input i'll tell you what we did for, for rugrats this isn't true with all animated shows but it's very true with rugrats mm -hmm. and also with recess the other show i did and with this yeah. with the simpsons which i worked on the one minutes but not on the series um which is 
that that we work from a script. Everything's everything is is figured out at the script stage. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean board artists do all kinds of amazing stuff, which is a later yeah. stage. But in terms of 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 the story and how it's told, that's figured out at the script, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to have a unique opening. I wanted to have something that was particular to the show. And what I came up with was every episode begins with an abstract image that you can't quite figure out what it is. And then you pull back and you, you see like some weird thing that you can't place. And then the camera pulls back and you see that it's something that in down on the ground with the kids, something, something that you don't even understand what it is at first. So you're seeing it through Tommy's eyes or yeah. the other Rugrats. Um, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively, but you're seeing something from the kid's point of view, because what I wanted to tell the audience is you are about to see a show that is from the point of view of a baby. Yeah. And that was how we did it. Right. We so you'd start out with like a little shot of a bug and you're going, what am I looking at? And then the camera would pull back and you'd see Tommy's lying in the grass and there's a bug nearby and he's looking at it. And then the story would pick up and we'd carry on. Every episode of the original 65 half hours of Rugrats started with something like that. When you leave after those 65 episodes and it comes back, do they approach you at all to come back or no, I mean, you no. said you were working on recess. Okay. So I was working on recess and, and uh, yeah, we weren't getting along that well at that point. Okay. Um, so yeah. Got you. Um, with that being said, were the executives how do i how do i wear this were the executives expecting because you said it got really huge in the reruns were the executives did they have any insight on like hey we think this might be really really big right out of the gate were they trepidatious after you know it as a matter of fact <laughs> you mean before the when the show first came out you mean yeah Rugrats was the way Nickelodeon, the people at Nickelodeon thought of the show at that time was, oh, that's the baby show. They didn't take it seriously. They were the uh, the executives were really into Ren and Stimpy because it was edgy and yeah. kind of, you know, grown up and weird. And they liked that. Didn't care for um, it. I get you. Yeah. But yeah, um, Doug was a little bit soft, but it was about kids that were, you know, like middle middle school age right yeah. rugrats was about babies and people like you know there's a thing my wife's a pediatrician and she told me pediatricians are the lowest paid doctors of all doctors the really? lowest paid are the ones are pediatricians because they deal with kids and people don't take kids seriously um it's a thing right people sadly don't take children seriously i wonder if Our whole they pay teachers such shit salaries absolutely that's why because we don't recognize, I know it's like, it's backward. It's wrong. You know, should be the lowest money into that. Yeah. That's everything should be there and nothing's there. It's just, it's sad, but it's true. And so we were the, the, the sleepers that no one was paying attention to. Right. And in a sense, the interesting thing about that was the audience got it, mm -hmm. but that wasn't clear yet. So for a while it they didn't, they knew that it was getting good numbers. They were happy with the numbers it was getting, but it was building. And they were all looking over here. They weren't looking at yeah. what we were doing. They were looking somewhere else and not taking it seriously. Meanwhile, we were taking it really seriously and trying to talk to our audience. And not only the kids, but their parents. We were saying, hey, look at these ridiculous parents. This is you guys. You recognize yourself? <laughs> it's us, right? 
you know, this was the key. What I learned this from The Simpsons when it went to a half-hour series, right? The the way that Homer is a reflection of the way the writers on the show saw themselves. Mm -hmm. They were making fun of their own big, dumb male stupidity. Yeah. That's what Homer's all about. Like he wasn't that way in the in the original one minute cartoons. He wasn't. He was. He was. He was kind of mean, but he wasn't stupid. In the when it went to series, he became like the dumbest. He's like, you can't. You're no one is as stupid as this guy, right? Oh, and I've that seen some people. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but but he was he was a reflection of how the writers saw themselves yeah and we did the same thing on rugrats the parents were a reflection of us making fun of our own foibles and mistakes and and lack of understanding so i, I kind of went on a tangent there oh, but <laughs> no you're perfectly fine that's why this that's why this podcast is called what's in my head because i never know where these conversations are going to go man and it's just fun being along for the ride because i get to when you guys talk and when you guys expound upon, you know, your experiences and what you were doing here and when I get to feel like I'm that fly on a wall and I get to see history kind of made, but it's through your eyes. So I get to experience that in a different mindset. So it, it's always fun seeing, like I said, what stories come up, what you guys are going to talk about, because I'm pretty sure some of the stuff that you, you have, whenever you have these type of interviews, um, you might have not thought about this for the last 10, 15, 20 years. You might have thought like, oh shit, I forgot about that. And then you start thinking about that and that'll lead to this story, which leads to this one. And it's fucking great because I just get to sit here and I don't have to talk as much, Paul, because I'm not very good at this job. So I just <laughs> like to sit here and listen. So it, it's fun, right? So what I'm getting at is you don't have to apologize. I, I, I like those little tangents. Um, okay. So you told me you, you said you, you, you were more like Chucky. Which parent were you more like? Where or wait, hold on, one more time. Where did you see the most fuck ups as far as the parents go? And then where were your mess ups there, Paul? Which ones did made it into the into? The oh, family? you know, I, you know, interestingly, as much as I saw that we were doing ourselves as parents, I don't think any of them were, were really like me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we had a model for for uh, uh, Didi in particular. Stu was, you know, Stu was like uh the the driest guy ever right and that was partially the actor um jack riley who was who's who's gone too he was like jack riley was was a character in a show called the original bob newhart show he played this this um this patient who is the most obnoxious guy in the world and he was so funny and i remembered him from that and i hired him to play Stu, and i thought i want and he played Stu like the driest guy in the world yeah. that was what what kind of made that character work for me he was so funny right um i don't know if any of the parents were quite like i was as a parent really what i was as a parent and i regret this to this day is i was never there because i was busy making cartoons and i was never home and i you know i to this day i regret this right but i didn't i don't know that i was conscious of that or thinking about that at the time so I didn't we didn't we didn't have an absentee parent per se. That isn't really what we were doing. Yeah. But that's what how I saw, see myself. And that's now how I see myself then. Then I wasn't really thinking about it. I was mostly thinking about what I was doing. Well, I want to I want to stop you for just a second. Mm -hmm. It's both. I don't want to say grown up because it makes it sound like you're young. I'm not calling you old either because that sounds like a backhanded compliment, Paul. So I apologize for both of those. But 
we talked before we hit record and I told you that I was in the Navy and I like at this point in time, I was gone for my, my, my son's almost his entire first year. So by the time he hit four until the time he almost hit one, I was pretty much gone. Right. So, you know, you had a job to do. I had a job to do. At the end of the day, man, we're sitting here making money. So yes, I do look, I can, I can agree with you as far as like, you know, we weren't there. Right. So we didn't get to see that type of shit. Um, and, and time is something we can never get back. I, I'm still trying to figure out. I, one day I hope Robert Zemeckis's film Back to the Future is it comes true because I want to be able to go back in time and get that time back that I missed. But it gave you something really, really important. It gave you perspective and it gave you how many kids do you have? I don't want to get too personal with your family life, but you got three. Right. So with the first one and, and is Tommy your oldest one? Yeah. OK, so you might have missed a lot with that first one, but I got to imagine that you made a conscious effort like I have with my youngest one that I will not, I don't give a fuck what it has. I have to be dead and put in the ground for me to miss anything here. That's the only fucking way I'm going to do it. I made, and I don't even want to call it a mistake. And I don't want to say that what you did was a mistake either, but with the first one, right. You only get, it's like, what's that, what's that old adage? It's like uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or wait, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on whatever the fuck it's called. I don't know. I'm not a fucking poet, but, but it's that whole thing where I made that mistake or I, I, I had that lapse in judgment when I was in the military where I wouldn't be there for the first one. I will be damned if I'm not here for the second one. So, like I said, you might have missed a little bit of the time with the first one. But I got to imagine that it was in the back of your mind when the second and third one came. You're like, I'll never do this again. I'll make sure I'm here for it. I'd like to think so. But honestly, I was so here's the thing to be in the film industry being and I, well, I say film industry television it doesn't really make any difference to be in that field you have to give put everything into it or at least that's how i felt and i i i just spent so many years concentrating on my work i was there all the time at work mm -hmm. i was i wanted to be in i wanted to control it it was going to have my imprint on it mm -hmm. and in a way it was a babe my baby you know mm -hmm. these shows that i did rugrats and recess and lloyd in space and all these others and I devoted too much time at the expense of my family. Mm -hmm. um, and I made the mistake over and over again. I can say that, that I've learned since then, but there are things that I really regret that I missed with all three of my kids. Yeah. They're, they're doing great. They're all doing really great right now. Mm -hmm. um, they're great kids, but I regret that I didn't make the same choice you did and say, okay, I made this mistake with the first one, but I'm not going to make it with the others. I'm not sure that I was as conscious of that as I should have been. I was too obsessed with my work and well, I love what I did, you know? And you can tell that and it translates into your work, man. Cause it, like the three shows you just talked about recess Lloyd to space and then Rugrats, man, there is something in there for everybody. Everybody loves those shows. You know, I, I love those shows, but I think a lot of the things that happen, yeah. sidebar again, sorry. So my first son, right? First two months, I'm 19, maybe 20 when my first son is born. My son is born uh, January 12th, 2010. And three hours before he, was before he was born, my grandfather passes away. And that was the first time being an adult that I had ever lost anybody. And it, fucking crushed me i didn't know what it, like i was close with him he put 
everything into me that I love now. Not so much the Ninja Turtles or what I'm fixated on or comic books or anything like that, but the love of pop culture, the love of film, the love of TV, because he would always have something on. When he was when he was out of work, he was a boiler maker. He's from West Virginia. So mm. when he was home, he would watch TV shows with us. He would watch movies. He would tell us about this actor. Turner Classic Movie was his favorite channel. I so right. get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we would just sit here and we would watch this stuff. And he would tell me, he's like, you know, this actor did this, you know, this actress did this. And I'm like, no, it was like, how do you know all of this information? He was like, well, it's, it's there. You just got to you gotta, you gotta get it. Right. So I was never like so close. Like my younger brother was a lot closer with him than me. But nonetheless, when he passed away and it was literally three hours before my, my son was born. Right. It fucking wow. crushed me. Right. And I didn't know how to cope with that, right? So me coping with that, I have a very addictive personality. Uh, I get into stuff and then I'm obsessed with it. That's all I can think about. It's all I, I dream about. It's all that's on my mind until it runs its course, right? It's like, it's like a virus or something like that. It's got to get out of your system, right? If it gets out of your system. And Luckily, I haven't done anything as far as when it comes to an obsession like that or an addiction like that with something that is very, very dangerous, like alcohol or drug. I mean, I smoke weed, but it's fantastic. Everybody should smoke weed. Um, but it's it, it, it was never addictive. But there was one thing I got super addicted on that almost cost me everything. And that was World of Warcraft, a video game, right? Oh, that yeah. A lot of people played, right? But it was an escapism for me. My grandfather just died. I'm in the Navy right? I'm just married and I have a kid. I'm fucking 19. Most people, not most people, almost every person is not fully developed technically until about the age of 25 with your frontal cortex developing and all this other shit. So they say 25 is what an actual person, how you are at 25, not so much how you're going to be for the rest of your life because everybody changes with experiences and stuff like that. But that's pretty much a fully developed human being at 25, right? So I'm six years away from being fully developed at this point. I didn't know what the fuck to do. So I got absorbed into this game, you know, so those two months that I actually spent that I got to see with my son, my oldest son, I probably didn't really see because I was so focused on this game. I was so obsessed, right? I was so into this because in that world, I had friends. I had people that I could talk to. I could people I can confide in kind of like this. This is what this podcast is for. Yeah. It's about talking. We'll talk Rugrats. We'll talk racist. We'll talk Lloyd space. We'll talk about whatever the fuck you want, but it's also making an emotional connection. not only with my guests, but with my fans and showing that people, there are things that people fuck up on. And when we can talk about things that we fucked up on and things that we're trying to get better. I think that's how you have progression and you have evolution people. Right. And I think that's a very important thing, but I was super obsessed into this game and I didn't see what was going on. Right. It felt like somebody else was inside my body and somebody else was pulling the fucking levers. I wasn't really there. I was just along for the ride. Right. And I'd like to sit here and make all these excuses saying it was because my grandfather died or I was stressed because I was getting ready to leave the country that I grew up in. I've already been to a different country, but I'd like to sit there and say it was somebody else's fault. But at the end of the day, I was pulling those fucking levers, moving my hands and typing the shit and making my character go here, there and there. So with that being said, like I said, all of these things that, that we might have gotten absorbed in, it's given us one thing. And I, 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 hark, I harken back to it all the time on this podcast is perspective, right? We're sitting in this position now. We can look back and say, fuck, man, why didn't I just for you go home a little bit earlier or why for me? Why did I just fucking turn that game off? Delete that shit off my fucking... Like, I haven't touched that game in years now. It has been fucking close to a decade as far as how long I've actually played that shit. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's just wild to sit here and think about. We all go through these different things. and We all put that shit into our work. We all use that to kind of... 
don't want to say mold and motivate ourselves, but we try to make sure we don't make that same mistake again. Now, I don't know why I told you all that, all, all that shit, but I, I figured, you know, I didn't want you to think that just because you weren't there for the, all that moment, we're never going to see every single moment, right? We're never going to see, you know, maybe his first word, you know, we might be at work and the wife might be there, or I might be there and my wife might be at work, right? So we're never going to see everything, but I got to imagine that your kids, you said they turned out great. I got to imagine they know that you love them more than fucking anything in this world. I got to imagine. I, I certainly hope so. Cause I do. Yes. You know, you know um, and, 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 and I think they do, but you know, there was, you know, the problem is, and I, I, I want to say, you know, I don't want to sound sexist, but I think guys are worse about this than, than women. I think we become fathers and women have, when they have the baby, they, they bond with the, the kid and the, the, the fathers, it's, it's not as straightforward. Right. Yeah. And you, you're glad you had your kid. I wanted kids. I, I always wanted kids. I, I never had any second thoughts about that, mm-hmm. but in terms of bonding, my wife bonded with our kids more, a little faster than I did. And I, I was, and I was 30 years old, you know, unlike you, I was your age when I had kids. My, mm-hmm. my first kid was born. I was 30. Uh, Tom was born when I, when I was 30. So he was, I was 30. He's so he's, he's the same age you are. So I'm yeah. twice your age, <laughs> but, but, um, and I, even though I was 30 years old, I think I was a little bit immature looking yeah. back at it. I think I was not, not really as prepared as I should have been for being a dad. Now I get it. I, if I, I did it now, would. I would have it down, man. I would be But you know but, why you'd have it down, right? Yeah, because I did it. Because <laughs> I well, went yeah, through it. You, you have perspective, right? You have right. those. Yeah. You have those previous fuck ups that those parents that you were talking about that you would write into. They're like, "Oh man, I did this, so we're going to put that into an episode." So you have all those past experiences to go off of. So you need. I don't want to say you need to fuck up so you learn, because some people are just either clairvoyant or they're just fucking better than everybody else. They get shit right on the first. Like my wife, right? The smartest fucking person I have ever met in my life. She has, and it's horrible because she calls me on this shit all the time. She's got a photographic memory. She can, and my son, my, my oldest son, he's got that shit too. He's like, dad, you remember it's like two years ago when you said we could do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, well, now I do. And I feel like an asshole because we didn't do those things that I told you we could do two years ago. And he's like, yeah, you think we could do those? I'm like, God damn it, you and your mother. But I feel like I said, just, you know, we'll get off to this topic, but I mean, you did, you did good, right? So you said your kids were doing good, man. They know you love them and you know that you love them. So I feel like, uh, you know, if we could go back and redo our mistakes, we could, or we would. Um, but I think it would change the way that we ended up and, you know, the path we're kind of on now. Right. So everything happens for a reason. I don't want to get, you know, two Tony Robbins on here, but everything kind of happens for a reason, Paul, please. Don't I think that's me, probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know really where we left off on the Rugrats, but, uh, you know, so we had the characters, we had the uh, opening and everything had its little purpose. Um, When a group gets together, as far as collaborating on on this type of stuff, what I'm getting is the writer's room, right? How many writers would you have at one time when you were working there? We started out, it was me and Craig Bartlett, my first story editor, and then very quickly, Steve and Joe came on um, and and Gabor hired them as 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 staff writers pretty quickly. Um, so there were the four of us. By the time we got to the second season, we had more people than that. We'd probably brought in 
two or three or four other people. So there was a guy named Peter Gaffney. There was a guy named Mike Ferris. There was Jonathan Greenberg. There was, uh, there was, um, um, there were a bunch of people that came on that were coming and going after that. We usually had a room of about six people and it really made a difference. That's not necessarily how all cartoons are done. Yeah. That's how live action shows are done. We ran the show as if we were doing a live action show, right? We, and, and by the way, the, the scripts were written as if they were live action scripts. Everything about it, we were thinking of it like a, a, like a live action sitcom, which is how I'd been kind of, I, was, I, I worked for Jim Brooks who did, who did the Mary Tyler Moore show and, and Taxi and shows like that. And I learned how to do that. And that's kind of how I thought of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So our really our, our episodes were like little movies, but they were we were thinking of them in terms of a situation comedy, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. 100%. So we had a writer's room and we had like six people. And that's a lot for animation. A lot of shows are like that now, but they weren't so much back then. Um, so there you go. What would you guys do to kind of like obviously you knew Joe and you knew Steve, you know, and you knew Craig. But what would you guys do to bond? Like you hear people, they would go on, like not so much retreats, but they would go and do stuff to, you know, bond. Oh, we mostly had lunch every day and we talked and we argued. We, it was a very boisterous, loud room because that's how I am. And so we were, we were like, we would argue about everything. I remember one time it was a joke we were working on and, and Steve Vixton, who was really a brilliant comedy writer, he's, he's gone, he died, yeah. but he would, one time we had this whiteboard in, 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 I think it was in Joe's office. We were in Joe's office, as I recall, might've been mine. We had, a, there was a whiteboard up there and we were arguing about a joke. I wanted the joke to be one way and Steve wanted it to be a different way. And, St and, you know, and I wanted people to disagree with me. I didn't, I'm not, I, I, I ultimately was the decider. I would decide how things were going to be, but I didn't, I was not a dictator. You know, I wanted everybody's input. So I remember, so I was saying the joke should be this way. And Steve was saying it should be this way. And Steve got angry at me and he said, look, and he goes, here's a graph. And he wrote a graph on the, you know, like a, like a rough graph, like a, like a, like a, um, an economics graph, you know, an X and a Y axis. And he said, here's your joke. 75% funny. That's good. But here's my joke. My joke is 85% funny. We should go with mine. And I just started laughing. I thought, where are you coming up with these numbers? So that was like the spirit of it. Like everybody was fighting and arguing to try to get a vision, not to prove themselves, but because they cared and they wanted it to be great. Yeah. And so that's a good problem to have, by the way, it is a great problem to have. It was yeah. really fun. It was such a fun room. Um, and people would, so, so sometimes writers in the room would, we, we, we would all pitch ideas at the beginning of, of a season. We would, we, we had this big running document on WordPerfect, that's Ooh. how long ago it was. And we had, uh, we, had, we had just titles with maybe a short description of ideas for episodes. And we would go through that and we'd say, do we like any of these from last season? And then we'd pick the ones that we wanted. Or writers would come in and, you know, like, like for outside writers, freelancers would come in and pitch ideas to us. And if we liked one, we'd say, okay, we want that idea. And sometimes mm -hmm. they, would, they would write, that we'd say, go write that up, write an outline. And we would all pitch. We'd have a big meeting and we'd kind of beat out the story. I don't know if you know that term. That means you figure out yeah. what the story is going to be with everybody there, right? The writer who's going to write it plus the staff. We'd figure out the idea. We'd say, okay, go write this. And they'd write an outline. And then sometimes we'd say, ah, this isn't working. And we'd, we'd, we'd say, this guy isn't really working out. So we'd take it back and, and we'd rewrite it ourselves to be what we wanted. Or sometimes they'd go all the way to script. 
And sometimes it's script, it wasn't right. So we'd take it back. But at different stages, we'd do different things. And eventually, by the time a script was done, it had gone through the whole staff. Everybody had had a had, had kind of taken it and kind of refined it and gotten it to be what we all agreed was what we wanted. And then I would go and record it. You know, we'd bring the actors in on a studio on microphones. They'd all be in the same room because I wanted them to work off each yeah. other, right? And we would record the whole thing and we would edit the track and we'd have a little a little radio show of the of the and you'd laugh at the radio show. The jokes would all come through on the radio show. And then the animators would take that and they'd animate to it. And that's kind of how it went. Was there any ad-libbing whatsoever? A little bit. Um, some. It depended. There was some. Not a lot. Mm -hmm. Some. Um, I was, I'd like to think that if I were doing it now, I would be more open to ad-libbing than I was then. In those days, I kind of, I was very kind of locked to the script. I'd allow it a little bit, but generally not so much. Yeah. Um because I felt comfortable with our scripts and I knew them by heart, you know, mm -hmm. at this point, that's not such a good thing. You yeah. want to be open to, to spontaneous stuff. And I don't think I was as open to it as I, as I am now. Perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. Perspective uh, for sure. The, the voice, the voice actors here, mm -hmm. when you're creating a show, obviously, you know, it probably starts with a character then that character probably turns into two and three. And you're like, all right, we're going to have a reason for these characters to be doing X, Y, and Z. They have personalities. When you get all of that stuff flushed out, at what point do you say, hey, this is probably what Chucky would sound like, or this is what Tommy would sound like. And how do you take those, those sounds that you might have in your head or those ideas you might have for what that character might sound like? And then you've got a pool of actors and actresses to pull from. How does that process? I've never had a well, flesh that idea out. Okay. Well, let me ask you what you mean. Do you mean what their voices sound like, or do you mean how they, what their personalities are like and what they would say? That's kind of two different things. So, so both, let me clarify just a little bit. So when you have an idea for a character, right. Mm -hmm. Do you already have in mind, like, I would love to have this actor actress on and see what they can do. Or do you already have an idea of what you want them to sound like? And then the the, the company would give you a, a list of actors and actresses to pull in to see who fits that role the best. It's, it's not really either of those things. So what you do is what we did. And again, other people probably have a different process. But yeah. but our process was we would we would start figuring out what the character's personality, the writers would start figuring out what the character's personality was. Mm -hmm. And usually we started with, with, with ideas, not so much artwork. Sometimes, sometimes like in that story I told you about Chucky, where Gabor showed me a finished piece of artwork and said, and said, what do we do with this guy? We started with the artwork, but most of the time you're starting with, with a care, with, with a, an idea of a character. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, Tommy is this intrepid guy. He's heroic. He is naive. He doesn't really know the world, um, but he's interested in it. And t the baby's naivete became a a, a, a part of the show, right? Yeah. Um, so you start coming up with a personality for it. Then you take that in the case of if you were doing a show with adult actors, right? Or with, I shouldn't say that, with, with adult characters, you might go and and say i i'm i'm thinking of this guy's going to be like jack nicholson or this guy's going to be like 
you know, you have an idea of a character or an actor in your mind, what that, that personality that actor conveys, you know, mm -hmm. but when you're doing kids, you, you're not, you're not, you're, you, you're little kids, you're not hiring actors that you know because you don't know kids are changing all the time so you're you're not looking for that so what we what we did was we would have a concept of the character maybe we would say this character is sort of like a baby version of thus and such an actor yeah. but not so much usually we were just formulating the character and we'd arm wrestle i i want to say this is joe and i would have when we were doing recess and we were figuring out that group of characters, those six characters, all very different characters, mm -hmm. we spent months arguing. We'd go into my backyard and argue, just like yell at each other about it. No, it's going to be this way. No, he's going to be that way. You know, and, and we would, we, and we, to some extent that was true on Rugrats too. We were, we were, we would, we would arm wrestle until we came to something, until we came to a consensus about each of the characters, what they were. Right. Mm -hmm. This had nothing to do with actors yet, right? And it usually didn't have anything to do with art. It was just a concept. Then the next thing we would do is we would give that to the artist and we'd start having people come up with, with blue sky concepts of what this character looks like, right? In the case of Rugrats, Gobber and Arlene were artists, so they would design stuff. So I'd say, I picture the character being like this, and then they'd do some design work and say, how about this? And we'd say, yeah or no, or we'd, we'd go back and forth until we came to something we liked, right? That's how Tommy was designed. That's how almost all the characters, with the exception of Chucky, were designed, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and then, so you have, now you have a piece of artwork, so you have a sort of an idea of what the character is going to look like, and you have um, a, a personality in your mind of what the character is going to be like in terms of a human being. How that character is going to sound, you don't necessarily know that. Yeah. So what we do is, we it's not that I said, here's the characters I want, and the, the casting person or somebody would say, Oh, here are some actors to fit this role. Mm -hmm. Usually what happens is because they were kids is we'd have an open casting call. So we would just bring in everybody who did voices of kids. Now in Rugrats, all the all the kid characters are done by adult women. Yeah. All of them. On recess, all of them were real kids, except for um Spinelli. Spinelli was was an adult. Everybody else was a kid. Um, an actual kid. So we and we did that on purpose because. One of the criticisms we got on Rugrats was that the, they, the characters didn't seem like, they didn't feel like real, they didn't sound like real children. They were too exaggerated. They were too imaginary. So they were, which, which made sense because- The fucking cartoon. Because, <laughs> right. It also made sense because, hey, I got an interesting thing to tell you, you may not know. Real one-year-olds don't talk. Really? <laughs> so they don't, yeah, weird, how, but true. How do you know this? <laughs> so- we we were we were designing them to be kind of like magical four-year-olds. That's how we thought of it. They were like preschool kids. They had the knowledge of like preschool kids mm -hmm. and these kind of weird magical voices that don't really exist. So we were hiring, and also it's much easier to hire adults and in, in, in terms of their performance and the amount of time you have working with them and things like that. It's yeah. easier if you're using adults. So that's how we did Rugrats. So we brought in all the people who do voice acting and people who had never done voice acting. So, so E.G. Daly, who played Tommy, she'd never done, she said she was a live action actress and a whole live action career had never done animation. She came in, did this voice and I go, okay, well, that's Tommy. <laughs> done. Same with Chucky. I don't think Chris Cavanaugh had ever done 
animation before. She did after that a lot of it, but not yeah. before that. Um, so we just brought them in. We listened to them. We'd, we'd, we'd record them. I'd have sides for them. You know what sides are? That's like a little yeah. piece of script. And they'd read their sides and we'd, I'd direct them a little bit. I always felt like I would, two things I did when I was auditioning actors is that I would, I would go in and read the other character with them so they had someone to read off of. Sometimes people have actors read just their lines in a vacuum. And I think, well, that's not acting. Acting is reacting. Acting yeah. is, is responding to other people. So I'd always, all my, almost always the, 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 the sides had two characters or more and I would play all the other characters so that they had someone to react off of. And I would cue them as I would kind of guide them as a director. I was guiding them by how I, did the other characters if yeah. that makes any sense oh yeah and so we would record them and then we'd all listen to the to the the pick takes afterwards and say who do we like and then we'd send them to to nickelodeon and then they'd have their say and and we ended up with this amazing cast amazing yeah, fabulous really, cast it really was and then going back to Stu for just a second because I, I i thought about it uh when we were talking about it he seemed were you ever an x-files fan a little bit, sure. He was Molder for me, but if Molder found out that aliens weren't real, and then he just gave up on all of his dreams, that's what <laughs> Stu, that's what Stu was like. He was just beaten down by the government. Like the the man, the smoking man came and he's like, "Hey, there's not really aliens here." And then he's just like, "Well, I guess I'm okay, yeah." Uh, for kids now. That so. was. I got to tell you, what's interesting is that was not the original concept of Stu, but it's what Jack Riley brought to it. So I. Yeah. I thought I want a really funny actor to play Stu. And I brought in Jack Riley, who who not only did I know from from the old uh, uh, Bob Newhart show, but he all, was also doing radio commercials that I would hear that I thought were hilarious back in those yeah. days. So I'd hear it on my way to work and I think I got to get that guy. He's funny. So I brought him in. He ended up playing the part and he brought his own deadpan um, uh, take For to so it. I remember one time we were doing an episode and Jack said to me, can I say this word one more time? And I, it was like a word. It was like not an interesting word in the in the in the script. And I said, sure. So he, it was the word mulch. He said, that's a funny word. I'm going to make that. I'm going to make you laugh. And he said, yeah, it needs some more mulch. And there was just something about the way he said it. I go, OK, that's really funny. He did that all the time. He was just always bringing his skill and his comic ability to what he was doing. But it wasn't necessarily how we saw the the character before he came in that's something the actor brought and that always happened that's awesome uh how because obviously everything in animation <clears throat> everything in animation kind of has to go with each other right so you got to have the writing to go along with the storyboards the voicing to go along with the voice director you know so everything has to give a little take a little so everybody can do what they're supposed to do would you guys collectively as a group go and do anything like, you know, every year? I mean, obviously you probably have holiday parties and stuff like that, but would you guys as a organization or as a group go and do stuff to, to bond and shit? Like obviously we talked about the writing room and you guys would go have lunch and stuff like that. But what about the storyboards or storyboard artists and the voice actors? How about that? The, no, the voice actors would come in. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't think, you know, aside from maybe we had parties where they would be invited to for like holidays, yeah. we never in particular uh, did anything like that. And the actors, you know, in animation, 
uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like if you're shooting a live action show, you're shooting the show all the time, right? Yeah. So really the people in the writing room aren't usually, they, they come on the set now and then, but they're too busy writing to have anything else that they yeah. do, right? Um, but when you're doing animation and you're doing the voices for animation, that's done, like you do a whole episode in, in yeah. like four or five hours. So once a week, the actors would come in and I would direct them. And sometimes the writers would come in. I'd invite the writers often to come into the room and where, because I'm in one booth and the actors are in another. At least that's how I was doing it then. So I'd be in the recording booth with the engineer and they'd be in, in the, well, I'd be in the engineering booth, you could say, where the, where the, where the yeah. tape machines are and, and, and the soundboard and all that. And I'd have guests in the room. So there'd be a couch behind me where that people could sit, you know, and I'd be up at the, at the panel talking to the actors over, cause we were in a sound, they were in one soundproof room and I was in another. So I would, yeah. I would have to get on a, com, a, 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 you know, like an intercom to talk to them. Um, later when I was doing recess, I would be in the booth with the actors. I'm getting off track here. Oh, um, you're perfectly fine. So, so, um, so I would, they would do, we would do a run and then maybe the, the writers would give me a note. They'd say like, I think they should say this this way, or I think we should go in this direction. And so I'd get on and I'd give the actors some notes and, and, the, and we would do it again. But by the time we were done, we'd recorded the entire episode, everything, including Yelps or, or coughs or sneezes, yeah. any, any vocal sound effect, you know, a gasp or, or a any of those kind of sounds would be recorded in the booth, right? Anything that came out of your mouth that was a sound you'd make with your mouth was recorded. Nothing else. Like if I hit the table, that that's a sound you put in in post-production. Mm -hmm. If you listen to, an, to a live action show, it's recording everything, you know, as the actors walk around, all that stuff's being recorded and you've, you enrich it, right? Mm -hmm. But in animation, all you have is, vo is, is vocal sounds. There's vocal sounds and picture. Everything else is added later. Okay, again, I'm getting off track. <laughs> but, oh no, you're, you're perfectly fine. I love how I love how uh, I love seeing how the sausage is made. Essentially, so yeah, it's it's perfect. very it's it's a wonderful process. It's a lot of fun. But so by the time we were done, we'd have the whole the whole the whole um, vocal track would be completed. I mean, it would have been recorded. Then we'd edit it, and then we'd bring in the storyboard people. And I would sit with the storyboard people and the script and the track, and I'd say. Okay, here's what I what I want, I, and I we'd have a session where I just go through the whole script page by page, and saying I think of this as a wide shot here. I'm thinking that you know, and they vary from that a lot, right? Yeah. They bring their own creativity. Basically, in animation, the storyboard people are the equivalent of um, kind of a live a live action director and a cinematographer all in one. They're what they draw on the board. In live action, uh, storyboards are sort of a, um, an, a, a helping device or like a, a pictorial device to help the director think, but yeah. they don't function in any other way. In animation, the storyboard is, the, is what you're going to do, right? Yeah. It's the actual shots you're going to put in the show that the storyboard person decides them. So the storyboard guys would go away. They'd come up with, with they'd do the whole script as a storyboard. And then we would take that and I'd go through it with them and say, I want this changed and that change. I'd go through all of that. Um, and then we would take it and actually videotape in those days, the storyboard and 
cut it in conjunction with the soundtrack and we'd get like a slideshow version of what the show was going to be and make changes at that stage. So we'd say, well, these, we thought this was going to work, but it's not working. Let's change. Yeah. So it would be this really elaborate process before it went overseas to be animated. Do you remember, now you don't have to get into too much specifics. Do you remember how much each episode was budgeted for? I know it's a long time. Yeah, ago. I want to say in the neighborhood of 500 grand, something like that. Per episode? Yeah, now per, that, per half hour. Now, is, at that time, is that a lot of money for what? It was a guys? very healthy budget in those yeah. days. Now, would the majority of the budget come in? Was it? Did, what I'm getting at is, did you have to hire a lot of extra people once the series started to come about? And then like it was all full steam ahead type of thing. Did you have to bring in more? And would you guys' money get adjusted if you did? Or once that budget was set, that budget was set for the entire series or for the entire season, excuse me. The budget was set. You might go over budget. You might not. But the budget was set. Um, and you would try to meet that budget just like you would do with a live action show. Same kind of thing. Um, and would we bring in people to, you know, fill the positions that we needed? Of course. Yeah, we brought in. All, we had a whole building that was devoted to Rugrats in those days. If wow. you if you go to Los Angeles, Klasky Chupo as a company kind of is is a much smaller version of what it was in those days. Mm -hmm. There were two, in those days there were two buildings and there was a little there was a little private nursery school between the two buildings. But there was yeah. these there's these two buildings. The bigger one of those buildings doesn't belong to the company anymore but the smaller one does and that's where where the rugrats production was so we had two floors of a building a live action show is you know you got all these people that are running around and they're shooting all over town and stuff like that in animation you're in an office you know you're in a building everybody's there at the same place together at least that's how we did it so you know, so we had a recording booth in the building. We so we would do all the different functions in the in building, house. but it yeah. wasn't animated in the United States and it wasn't animated by us. It was animated in South Korea. So we would do all the stages up to animation and then the actual animation would be sent overseas to get done there. Now, would you have to fly over there and communicate with them with a translator or would somebody else go in your in your place? Usually someone else went. I, I, I when I was working on recess, I went to Korea one time for a few days but but generally no on rugrats i never did go to korea so what you'd, you'd have is you would have your storyboard right and you would have um a very very elaborate storyboard and then you would have what are called timing sheets yes. which they don't use anymore that have a there it's a big piece of paper like i want to say bigger than a legal size piece of paper and wider and it had lines on it each line represented a frame yeah. of the final picture and you describe everything that happens in that frame would be described right what the sounds were that the characters were saying their lip their lip assignments mm -hmm. right to to mouth the words yeah, uh, walk cycles and everything like yeah, that yeah walk cycles everything was was determined on these sheets and the sheet timer was this really important part of the process nobody does that anymore that that job went away when um when 2d cell animation became computer driven and we stopped we stopped drawing each frame mm -hmm. which which sometimes they still do that features do that and some shows do that but mostly people are using programs like toon boom and those kinds of things that animate in the 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 computer and once they started doing that this the whole idea of timing sheets kind of went away i don't think they do it anymore 
Yeah, yeah. I had a. I don't know if you know him. <clears throat> he worked a lot over at Cartoon Network and Hanna Barbera during during your run with uh, Rugrats and Recess and everything like that. So you guys have passed mine up cross. But Robert Alvarez, um, he was a timing director and animation director. And he was taught hey, one question like uh, one of these guys that uh, listened to the show. He's like, hey, can you have Robert go into detail about slugging boards? And Robert smiled a little bit. He's like, man, I haven't been asked that question in decades. So he went into, I was thinking like a 10, 12 minute story about just what slugging the board really meant. So it was really yeah. cool seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing that. Um, uh, so it would be an injustice if we did not talk recess, but we've already been going for about an hour and 40 minutes. And I do want to get to some fans questions. Uh, if you're up for it, I would love to have you back on so we can do an episode 100% dedicated to recess. We can. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Yeah, because Recess Spinelli was my favorite character in that that entire show. I absolutely you should have Joe it. and me do that show together. That Recess that's, show. that's what I, that's what I'm gonna have because I'm gonna have Joe on because we did a small. I've talked to Joe twice now, and Joe like the very first time we talked, he's like, "Oh shit, I forgot we were gonna do this." I got like 20 minutes and then we got to go do something. I was like, yeah, no problem. We can do 20 minutes and then come back on. And so we did a little bit on Rugrats and then we transitioned right into Hey Arnold the next time we picked up because Hey Arnold was, was my, my, my favorite show off of Nickelodeon. Um, so that, and then I was like, I got to have you on for a part three. And that's how you came on. I was like, we got to do recess. But I was like, if you can get, you know, Paul, if he wants to come on, I would love to have both you guys on. So that's, that's, what I that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah, so, cause like I said, when you have some multiple people on one, you'll, you'll say something that'll trigger something. And Joe and just like, Oh shit, I forgot about that. You remember when we were doing this, that With Joe and me, we'll talk stuff. right over each other. You'll see. It'll be hard that's to perfectly keep track. Fun. It'll be a shit show, <laughs> but it'll be a fun shit show. <laughs> there you go. So, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it on. Um, and I specifically, um, cause there was quite a few fans that wrote in that wanted to know some recess stuff. And I'm not right off the bat. I'm not going to ask any recess questions, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to save that for the part uh, part three for Joe, but part two for uh, Paul here. Um, before we wrap up, I always like doing this uh, before we wrap up and get the fans questions. Excuse me. I always like saying this. Thank you for what you did, man, because you made not only my childhood, my adulthood life so much fun, just as well as so many other fans that didn't get to say this and don't get to say this to you and all the other people I get to have on. I'm extremely lucky that you guys say, yeah, I'll come and talk to you about some stuff. I didn't. I, I'll, I'll never. I can't say thank you enough. But, Paul, thank you enough. Or not thank you enough. But thank you for coming on my show, man. I really appreciate you bet. it. Anytime. So, all right. So let's get to these fans questions. My handwriting is atrocious. So, but nonetheless, we got some really, really good ones here. Uh, Lavender Jelly wants to know, how did you feel about the later editions of characters like Kimmy and Dill? I'm not a fan. Uh, I feel that especially Dill took the show in a direction that I wouldn't have done which is, um, here's the problem. I wanted to do a show about the youngest people that could exist. Mm -hmm. Babies, right? Yeah. The, the, the absolute, if once you bring a baby in who's younger than Tommy, then Tommy's no longer a baby. So suddenly Tommy's somebody's older brother. That's not the show. The show is about babies. Mm -hmm. And so you have this character who, who, can't really talk he can kind of partially talk and i'm thinking no the whole conceit of the show is that babies can talk it just it 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 messed with the concept of the show and and i didn't like it and also the characters on on rugrats were tightly designed to kind of fit they're kind of like a chinese puzzle they all fit together in a really yeah. particular way and when you start 
bringing in all these other characters, suddenly people aren't who they're supposed to be. There's a like there's there's Chucky, and then there's this other person who's sort of like Chucky. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want that. I all the characters in the original gang are very different from each other, yeah. right? Except Phil and Lil, who are kind of two halves of one person. Yeah. But the the characters are like each of them is pushing and pulling in a different direction. If you start messing with that formula, you, you're going to have trouble. Now we created um, uh, Susie. Mm-hmm. We were asked to 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 to, to kind of integrate the, the 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 group, and we thought that was a cool idea. And it was very difficult to figure out, okay, what is her role going to be? This other kids, what is her role going to be on the show? Um, How is she going to function as another baby in this team? And what we came up with is she was going to be Angelica's agent. She'd be the Angelica foil. She'd be she'd be an answer to Angelica's power, somebody, a challenger to Angelica's power, but in this case, a good for good instead of for evil. Right. And that's how we came up with her. I feel like the characters that came into the, to the Rugrats later on, didn't make sense. They didn't, they didn't fit. And they took the show in all kinds of weird directions that make no sense to me. That's just my opinion. Oh, a hundred percent, man. And and like I said, I liked, I liked Susie because I liked having somebody because, like I said, if my mom would have seen Susie and Angelica, I would have been able to watch the show and not have to sneak. Right, her, you know, that was her purpose on the show. And she exactly was that one character. Like, it, like I loved everything about her. How how Creed got her voice and everything. It was just she was such a fun character, man. So, um, Sin I'm I'm so apologize, ladies and gentlemen, if I pronounce your name uh, incorrectly. Um, do, this one's a hypothetical. Uh, do you think it's harder to be an adult? or a baby now versus in the nineties. I think it's harder to be anything now than it was <laughs> in the nineties. I think, you know, it, 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 I never, it's funny living in the nineties, you, you, you know, you, you were a kid in the nineties. So it was all new to you. Mm-hmm. I was in the nineties. I was between 30 and it, I, I was 40 at the end of the nineties. Right. You've seen some shit. <laughs> yeah. You, well, I was an adult, you know, so to me, yeah. Looking at the 90s, I was thinking, well, this is not this romantic, weird past to, or, or this, this neat early stage. For me, it was just when I was an adult, you know, when yeah. I was, a, you know, adult making adult decisions, having kids, stuff like that. I don't think of it as a long time ago. It's weird to me that yeah. the 90s was 30 years ago. That's really crazy because I just remember it so well. I remember voting. I did all the things that that, you know, I remember Clinton. I remember. Remember Tang? I, so i mean you know it was just it so that's how i thought of it when i look back at it now it seems like people there wasn't so much fighting you know politics has gotten so ugly and everybody's really has everybody's fighting and everybody's angry and people are broke and there's covid it was just an easier time i think it was easier i i think it was an easier time to be a kid. And I think it was an easier time to be an adult. I think everything's harder now. I hope that's an answer. I don't know. It, it really is. Well, it's your perspective, man. It, it's how you look at things. And, you know, I, I was nine. I, I remember like the first time I remember being scared, scared, scared was uh, Y2K. Right. I know oh, yeah. what the fuck was going <laughs> to happen. Right. So I'm, I'm going to school and then all of these kids and what you hear from kids, you think is like the God's honest truth. You think, Oh, this shit is going to happen. This, this is, 
So I kept hearing Y2K this, Y2K that, the, the, the clocks are going to stop. This is going to happen. Planes are going to fall out of the sky. First time I was ever scared was over a fucking year being changed from nine, nine, or 1999 to 2000. That was the first time I ever remember being scared. So that was my... That's funny. I, I don't mean to, to, to belittle your, your, your fear. Oh, it's, it's funny. It, nothing fear. came of that. I think, I think I remembered at the time and I kind of, I remember rolling my eyes and I thought, I somehow don't think the world's going to end here. But then 2001 came along and the, and the towers went down and that really was, I remember when that happened, I just felt, Oh, that felt so horrible. I just remember that that was, that was, you know, I was alive when Kennedy was assassinated. I was a little kid. I was like four when Kennedy was assassinated. I don't remember that. But everybody, you know, what people would say is that if you were alive, then you would remember where you were when you heard that about yep. that, right? Um, well, I remember everything about where I was yep. when 9-11 happened. It's just so monumental, such a big thing. And and to me, that was, you know, yeah, Y2K, I never took that seriously. I understand that you might have been a kid, but I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's funny you bring up, and it's not funny that you bring up uh, uh, September 11th, but, you know, it is, I guess, a coincidence because I had this talk with David when I talked to you about the, the Kurds, the cowardly dog writer. Uh, head writer. Um, we had this, we had this talk and I remember everything about that day. I remember what I had for breakfast. I remember, I don't remember what I wore, but I remember who I was talking to on the bus on my way to middle school, the day everything changed. I remember who I was sitting in front of. I remember who I was sitting behind. I remember what happened when they wheeled the, the TV in there where I'm, where I went to school at for middle school was a predominantly um, Hispanic and mainly Puerto Rican uh, area. Right? So we had a lot of like a lot of white, a lot of black, a lot of Puerto Rican, a lot of Mexican kids. So the thing where we're at and where New York is that New York has a huge population of Puerto Rican people too. Well, in my area, a lot of people that were, that were Puerto Rican here were from New York. So when the towers went down, all of my friends started checking out of school because they had family that still lived up there. Wow. So nobody knew what was, what was happening. Everybody just knew that, Hey, we, and I got goosebumps right now thinking about it, but I remember getting on the bus and sitting around and what happened that morning, there were so many people on my bus that afternoon because my mom couldn't get out of work to come and get us she was terrified you know she called us told us to call her at school so we call her she's crying she's telling us what happened you know she's telling us when as soon as you get home lock the doors i'll be home as soon as i can i'm trying to get out of here but i'm having trouble getting out of work were were you in man you you were in manhattan no 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 i was i'm in florida Um, oh you're in florida okay i remember like i'm wearing it on my shirt i remember nickelodeon studios because i grew up in orlando Right. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I remember Nick Nick Studios and the, uh, the Nick Hotel and everything being so colorful. Now, when you drive by it, it looks like like it looks like we do as adults now, drab and depressed. Right. That's what Nickelodeon Studios looks like now. But you know, when I was when I was on my bus ride home, you know, none of my friends were there, and I just remember like looking around. There's you know maybe 15 of us on the bus. Everybody's nobody's talking everybody's terrified and i remember getting home and then my neighbor, my next door neighbor uh i, I know he's not going to listen to this but if he does bill i apologize we used to call him crazy bill because he was wild right he was just this fucking 
eccentric guy. He would always walk around and he would have jean shorts that he cut, right? So he had jeans and he would <laughs> cut them into almost like Daisy Duke booty shorts and he would walk around like this. He was super tan. He was a surfer guy, always stoned. I never knew what weed was back in the day, but now that I smoke it, I'm like, oh, this is what Bill was. Bill was smoking this stuff because this is what this shit smelled like. So Bill would, Bill was just a wild, eccentric, fun guy, right? He's a sweet guy. And I remember as soon as, as soon as I got home, my mom said, lock the door. So that's always work. And I was fucking peeking out of the blinds, trying to look for my mom to see if she was home. Cause I was fucking scared. Right. Yeah. So I'm the oldest at that time at home, my older sister, older brother, completely out of the house at this point. So I had nobody to fucking talk to. This is 2001. This is before I had a cell phone. This is before anything other than what we were watching on TV is what we were taking as, as the fucking God's honest truth. This is what was happening. Right. So I'm sitting there, I'm fucking terrified. And then I hear knocking on my door i was like okay so mom told me not to open the door so i go and i i peek behind the curtain there's nobody there so i was like all right what the fuck's going on so i hear it again and i don't see anything so i'm like what the fuck is going on am i hearing something is this really happening so i go to open the door and then off the side crazy fucking bill hey neighbor did you see what happened i'm like holy shit bill you scared me i almost shit my fucking pants like fucking little 12 11 year old kid however old i was in 2001 I almost shit my pants because my next door neighbor wanted to come over here and talk to us about what happened and check on us to make sure we were okay because he was that type of dude. He was just making sure everybody was okay and making sure everybody got home safe. Um, but yeah, I remember everything about that day. You know, it was a fucking wild day, man. It's just the day that changed. It was a terrible day. It really, really was. Day. And it's crazy to think that that was 20 years ago. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. So over half. It doesn't feel like 20 years ago to me, but yeah. It really doesn't, man. Um, dependent feature 77 ones. I kind of smudged it, so I hope it's 77. Um, I know you answered this kind, I, you answered this kind of, but we'll, we'll revisit it just for a second. Who's your favorite character, and do you ever think Rugrats would be this big? Um, obviously, you, we talked about you know, it, it got huge when the reruns started to happen, it went on to primetime TV. Um, and was your character always your favorite character always Tommy or did you always have an affinity for that character? No, my favorite character was Chucky. Chucky, excuse me, <laughs> Chucky, 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 excuse me. Um, um uh, I think I don't know that I I never really thought about it. You know, you know, they're all your kids, right? So yeah. when when you're when you're when you're in it, you're thinking I'm not picking a favorite. I love them all. They're great characters. I love them. Yeah. I'm really proud of them. Um uh it was only later that I thought and it's not necessarily, you know, saying that Chucky's my favorite character. That isn't quite right. What I should say is he's the one I personally relate to the most, the one I feel that I'm like. If you ask me what my favorite character is, they're all so great. They all are, there are aspects of all of them that I love, right? Mm -hmm. I love Tommy's heroism. I love Angelica's, you know, bossiness and, mm -hmm. you know, badness and, and, and her joy of being in command. There yeah. are things about them that I love about all the characters. So that's what I would have to say. Beautiful. And speaking of Angelica for just a second, when I had Cheryl on, she said the break your leg, break uh, Angelica breaks a leg. That was her favorite episode as well. Oh, it's such a funny episode. It's it so really funny. is. If you, if people out there, if you get a chance to watch that, it is just, just perfect old fashioned comedy. It's so good. Yeah. It, it <laughs> is a perfect episode from start to finish. Um, I Caruso fire again, I think, uh, well, no, you answered that one. I was going to ask you what inspired the show to be written from a baby's point of view, but you already, you already, we already talked about that in great detail. Um, this one I did not know until I had 
Joe on when I asked the same question for fans questions. Um, I got to imagine you doing this for 30 years. You've heard some of the wildest shit. I hate my socks writes in. Have you heard the fan theory about the babies being Angelica's figment, uh, figment of Angelica's? You've heard that shit? I have. What did Joe say? I'm very curious. I, I can't remember because it was so long ago. And um, I, I honestly, I can't remember. Um, but here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, wow, I never thought about that. It's a funny idea. <laughs> it wasn't where I was coming from. But then if it was the truth, would I, wouldn't I say that? Wouldn't I just say that anyway? You know, so you're going to piss these know. nerds off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like some of these questions. Do you know Peter Hannon, the creator of Cat Dog? I do. OK, so what do you think he's been asked the most his entire run as far as creating Cat Dog? How do they shit? Yes, 100 percent. I'm surprised you got. I him. think he told me that once. That's why I think I know it. <laughs> so there there's another show out there it's called i don't know if you ever watched but it's called ed ed and eddie on cartoon network yeah i know the and show so there is a character in there it's double d's the guy with the sock on his head everybody always wants to know what's under his head because they used to tease it all the time like he would lift up his hat and he'd pull it back down they're like what the fuck is underneath that hat so every time and i've i've done almost that entire that's the only show that i've had almost com- with the exception of the creator almost complete open availability to all the writers, to the actors, to the storyboard. I almost had almost everybody on from that show. And every single time I ask for fans questions, that is the first question. And usually the first five questions, what's under the hat. Never once did I sit there and think, how does cat dog take a shit? What's under double D's hat. (laughs) And the first time I ever posted anything about this and I heard about this fan theory, I was like, what are you talking about? And then somebody had to message me like, Hey man, I didn't really want to write this depressing shit you know, on the comments, because I didn't want any weirdos to, you know, message me. So I'm doing this personally, don't tell anybody. Um, And he was like, you know, so Tommy is supposed to be stillborn, it broke Angelica, and then Angelica dreamt up all of these babies in her head, so she wouldn't be sad. And I'm like, this is the most depressing, what person came up with this fucking theory? This person needs a hug. Look, look, here's what I would tell you. My daughter is really into um fan fiction mm-hmm. right and when she talks to me about fan fiction i think wow there never was that i can think of maybe i'm just not being um opening my mind up enough but there never was anything like that idea when mm-hmm. i was a kid that yeah. you would take something that you loved mm-hmm. and you would like write your own version of it or write like a, a, a sequel to it or something like that yeah Nobody would ever think that way. You know, you just wouldn't do that. You, it wouldn't occur. It never occurred to me. I had things that I loved, like mm-hmm. the first Batman series or Star Trek or you name it. I mean, there was stuff we loved, but we didn't think of, you know, doing our own versions yeah. of it. At least I didn't. Right. Now everybody does this. And if you're a writer or a creator or somebody who's involved in this kind of stuff and you hear about people taking your idea and taking it into some other world and like, seeing what they think of it or or saying i think what's really going on is this i love that stuff i love it because it makes me say you liked what i came up with so much that you have to take it and make it into your version of it yeah cool great please do that or when you see like on on the on the internet people draw their versions of what do the rugrats look like when they grow up or, Mm -hmm. or recess they do that too and i think i love that i mean it's just 
taking it means that I had an effect on you that I that something that was that started as something in my head has had an effect on your life. That's really cool. I love it. So please come up with your theories. I don't care what they are. They could be depressing. They could be funny, whatever. Just go be creative. That's wonderful. Make sure you message Paul with that depressing shit. Not me. Cause I was really <laughs> sad when I saw that shit. It didn't bother me at all. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Cause we, we talked about it with you, uh, with you working so much. Came run wants to know, or, Oh no, it's probably Cameron and my, my handwriting just sucks. Uh, what was your sleep schedule like during the writing of this show? Rugrats? Yeah. It wasn't so much the writing of it as the whole thing, because I, the way I, I divide, I'm, I'm a writer, but I, in many ways, I consider myself more of a, a showrunner, a guy who does everything. So yeah. I'm involved with everything. Writing is just one part of it. You know, my partner, Joe, is a, is a real writer. He's a writer's writer. He's so great. I'm not as good as he is at writing. What I like to do when we're working together on a show that we create, he kind of spins off and, and runs the writer's room and does that. I'm involved with it, but kind of in a much smaller way than he is. And I do the production, the recording of the actors, the storyboards, the post-production, you know, the editing, uh, sound effects, everything, right? That's what I love. And so the, the, the better question to that that could have been asked it was not what did you how did you sleep during the writing it, it, did, did you get much sleep did i get much sleep during the production of the show and the answer is i got some <laughs> but i was working all the time that's what i was telling you about not having time to spend with my kids yeah that's the real problem is i was just never home you know i would come home and go you know like crash and go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and do it all over again it's hard work but i loved it yeah i loved it I can tell you, it, we could tell you loved it, man, because it translated into your work you were doing. Um, uh, oh, this is a, he had a he or she, excuse me, uh, had a had a two parter here. Um, were there any topics that you wanted in Rugrats, but Nickelodeon said no? And was this the hardest era of your life? It was certainly not the hardest era of my life. Mm -hmm. did it did did i want things that i couldn't do that that because nickelodeon stopped me almost nothing yeah. nickelodeon was by far not my biggest problem my biggest problem was people and i'm not going to get real specific on this but it was people that i was working with here people that were that were um in high positions on in los angeles working with me not at nickelodeon Gotcha. And th so I'll give you an example. We wanted to do an episode of what happened to Chucky's mom. Mm -hmm. Now you asked me, you told me that Mother's Day episode was a well yeah, rip, rip way the before the Mother's Day episode, like back in in the first or second season of the show. We wanted to do an episode about Chucky's mom. What happened to her? Because she was never around. So the first thing we all sat down, my writers and I, we sat down and we said, well, what happened to Chucky's mom? Where is she? And somebody said, well, I figure they're divorced. That the Chucky's dad and Chucky's mom are divorced. And we pitched that and someone said to us, "Oh, you can't do divorce. Kids aren't can't deal with that stuff. You can't talk about divorce." And we said, "Okay, then I guess we if we can't do it, maybe Chucky's mom died." "Oh, you can't do that. That's really sad. You can't do, talk about that." And so we couldn't do anything. <laughs> So we skipped it because 
People wouldn't let us tell the story. But this was not. But I want to emphasize this was not coming from Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. They never had a problem with anything like that. Yeah. The, the notes that the kind of notes I would get from Nickelodeon would be mm -hmm. things like we have to be careful not to do dangerous things that are repeatable behavior by kids. Mm -hmm. So the biggest example of that is there was an episode where Tommy Tommy's parents go to a, take him to a psychologist and then he wanders off and he's wandering through this this um, skyscraper. Okay. What? It's a, to a whole building. Mm -hmm. And there's a part where he was at a window and he sees this window and he walks out the window. And just as he's walking out the window, uh, uh, a window washer's, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? You know, his, his platform comes up and Tommy walks onto that. Yes, right. After his rise. And they said, and Nickelodeon says, you cannot do that mm -hmm. because a few months before, um, who's the famous guy whose kid walked out of a building in, in Manhattan to his death? Uh, the famous oh, the singer. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Oh shit! I think of his name, the guitarist. Uh, that had just happened. Yeah, this kid had walked out of a New York skyscraper to his death, mm -hmm. and they said, "Absolutely not! You can't go near that." That was the kind of note, I, and I got—I get it. I think they were right. You know, I don't yeah. even. But that's the kind of note I got from Nickelodeon. There would be safety issues, standards and practices kind of issues. Not about whether Chucky, how, what happened to Chucky's mom. That was not an issue they would have had anything with. So those were the kind of problems I had. Not Nickelodeon. If you had your choice, whether it was divorce or she had passed away, which one do you think you would have wanted to pick and 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 go down that road in? Probably, I would have picked. I would have picked that she they were divorced because I would have gone with the more common experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the less dramatic but more common experience, I think, is what I probably would have done if I had a choice. But I didn't care. I just wanted to say what happened to her because it was weird that she wasn't around. Right. Yeah. So you didn't you said that you loved that that Mother's Day episode that that was God, that episode must have come out in the late 90s. So for probably six, seven, eight years of the history of that show, no one knew what had happened to Chucky's mom. That was ridiculous. That was yeah, just well silly. What 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 hit so hard with that one is because uh, I won't go too deep into it, uh, but my father was an absentee father, pills, alcohol, and then prison. Oh, yeah. um, so that that seeing that and then just not not so much Chucky thinking like why didn't my mom want me or you know me why didn't my dad want me type of thing, but that's that's how it kind of felt. And like just looking at that now, you're just you're looking around at everybody else with their fucking mom. And then I look at that and I was like, I've been to the park and I see everybody else's dad playing with them. Like, why doesn't my dad want to play basketball with me? Why does my dad want to be around me? You know, so it, it that's why that one hit so hard. Um, and it, it's still one of those episodes that like I, I can put it on. And then as soon as we start getting to to the very touching moments, like my eyes start welling up and then I got to hit pause and just turn it off. Cause I just, I can't do it. Cause it's just, it brings, wow. it, it just brings stuff up. And like, and it's such a, it's such a beautiful episode, but it's just it's like, for me, it just puts me in such a, um, it just puts me in a sensitive spot that I don't like being in because it just, all those memories get drugged back up. And it's just once, once that, that, that wound is kind of scabbed over for me, I like it to let it scab. I don't like letting it open and breathe and shit. I like hear that. you. So, I hear you. And especially with that one, those that's like the only topic that I'd, I'd really just try not to, to delve into. Um, but Nikki wants to know, as we talk about some more depressing shit, 
which season do you think was the best either in quality or production for you? I want to say, and it's, I'll tell you what I, let me put it this way. It's hard to judge that. I can tell you when the show for me became something extraordinary, which mm-hmm. was in season two. In season one, we were all learning the show. Yeah. And from a writer's perspective, what we were learning is we were doing a whole lot of episodes that we described as Tommy goes to X and wreaks havoc. Mm-hmm. Tommy goes to the baseball stadium. Tommy goes to a skyscraper. They were all about Tommy goes to X and wreaks havoc because it was an easy subject, yeah. you know? Um, and along about the, the, toward the end of the first season, we started exploring other ideas, more philosophical, more interesting ideas. Um, Joe and I in particular, uh, we sat down and we said, okay, I don't, we're sick of these kind of episodes. We got to come up with other types of episodes that are about something else that other than the kids go to an adult arena of some sort and cause chaos. It just got boring to us. We got to the second season. We started dealing with things like, why is Angelica the way she is? Mm -hmm. Not, okay, we know she's, she's a villain, but why is she a villain? Right. Um, And and what is the relationship? Like we would put Ch- Angelica and Chucky together and say, okay, what happens if they're stuck together? Yeah. Like there's an episode where, where like Angelica has a pair of like toy uh, um, uh, uh, handcuffs and she mm-hmm. mistakenly cuffs herself to Chucky and they're stuck together. And we thought that's hilarious. That kind of thing where you're, where you're doing personality and character and, and, and issues and dealing with all kinds of stuff. That happened in the second season. That's when we started, or it started to happen in the first season when we started to figure it out, but it really became the show in the second season. And after that remained what the show was. Yeah. Um, so I want to say the second season was really monumental to me because it's when we figured out, we, we hit our stride and figured yeah. out what we were doing. Uh, funny story. My stepfather was a police officer for the Orlando PD. And uh, I don't want to say I saw that and copied it, but I saw that and I uh, handcuffed my younger brother's wrist <laughs> to his foot. So, oh yeah, that's repeatable behavior. See, yeah, we could have gotten in trouble for that. <laughs> it's probably a good thing I didn't say, hey, I saw this on Rugrats because my mom would have been extra pissed that I snuck around and saw the show <laughs> and did that. That's so, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Timothy wants to know. Nope, we already talked about that one, so I apologize. Uh, when Justin wants to know, when you set out, did you did you intentionally write Rugrats for the kids and the grownups to watch, or just the kids? And then you found out later down the road it was something adults could watch too. Absolutely, for both audiences, it was a yeah. key to the show for us, and it was not something that the studio necessarily wanted. They wanted a show for kids, mm-hmm. right? But we thought. In order to make this show clear, we have to have adults. So yeah. to contrast with the kids. And once we came up with that, the adults became sort of fun to us. And we thought, well, the, the show is about the kids, not about the adults. This is something that I've had to emphasize in all the generations of the show since then is people get they want to tell the adult stories. And I say, no, no, no. This is a kid's show with adults. It's not an adult show with kids. Yeah. It's about the kids. And so the adults need to take a back seat. And if you start spending too much time on the adult subplot, you're not getting the show. Mm -hmm. But the adults were important. 
they were a fun cutaway. They were a fun, they were kind of comic relief and they were a way of talking about these different two worlds and yeah. misunderstanding and miscommunication. They were absolutely an integral part of the show right from the start. It was always part of the concept. If you, if you were to see that pilot we did that I told you about, mm -hmm. I, maybe I said this on the air, I can't remember that yeah, we, never yeah, actually, we, we never actually aired the pilot. Even in the pilot, the adults, there was this adult subplot. It was just it was important to it. Now, has can you find that pilot online? Has, was it ever released after? I think or? it is online. Okay, I I'll think it on. is. I think it's on. I think it's on YouTube, but I'm not sure. Okay, um, Zach L here writes in, and it's it's funny we talked a little bit about the Tracy Ullman show and The Simpsons earlier. Um, have you ever thought about doing adult animation since you got your start in the animation voice directing or voice uh, animation? Excuse me, uh, with the Tracy Ullman Simpson shorts. Well, yes, I have. Um, here's the problem. In, in the entertainment business in general in Hollywood, you get typecast into what it is that, that, you, that you've had success in. Mm -hmm. People think, oh, he's not, a, he's not an adult animation writer. He's a kid's animation writer. And you get stuck there, which is really unfortunate because yeah. that's just a pity. But so, yeah, I, there were times we pitched adult animated shows, but it, they never were never able to sell anything. I think people just didn't think of us that way. And so we never got our opportunity to do that. Joe and I have always wanted to write uh, adult and live action, but we, we just couldn't make the transition back to it. Man, I hope you guys can do it because I got to feel because like we just talked about in that previous question, you wanted both audiences there because you got the kids that are into the shit and then you got the parents that have all the money. So you want to make sure that you're kind of, you know, because most of the time a kid will watch a TV and then who's watching the TV with them? The fucking parents. So you yeah. want to make sure they're not just trying to sleep or something like that. You want to get them actively engaged. Well, that was our thing. What we think happened with Rugrats is that why it took off, we think, in, when it went to prime time is that mom and dad would come into the room, you know, while they were making dinner and they would see what the kids are watching and say, hey, this is pretty funny. Yeah, this isn't bad. You know, it's, as opposed to the kids shows that people watch that are just so stupid. Mm -hmm. You just look at them and go, oh, I will. I will. I would. I would cut off my arm to get out of this trap and not have to watch this you know that's not what we wanted to do we wanted to pick up we wanted smart shows that everybody could relate to on different levels yeah right and it's still what we did we did the same thing on recess so it was just an important part of the show and always will be so yeah i'd love to do adult animation anytime give people if you know anybody let them know i'm, I'm available <laughs> i know some people uh, I don't know if they'll listen to me because I'm just I'm just a fan that has a microphone and likes to talk to people. But I know some people. I'll reach out. Um, uh, o wants to know: Were you involved with any other Nick projects other than Rugrats at the time? No, no. Mm -mm. Um, Jeffrey wants to know: uh, What was it like having the late great Alex Trebek guest starring on Rugrats? It was so much fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was that was a really cool episode. We we had a number of people. We would bring people in. It was amazing how many people would would come in if you asked them. They would just come. So we were doing this 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 uh, uh, this game show episode of the, where Didi's on basically on a game show, and we got Alex Trebek to come in. I couldn't believe it. And he was the nicest guy. He was he once the microphone went on, he was all business, man. He yeah. would just do it. He would knock it out of the park. He understood exactly what he was doing. He'd never seen the script before. He hadn't studied it. He just was reading it off the, right on his music stand. Boom. Done. It was great. He was a lot of fun. He was great. 
a one take Trebek, huh? Uh, oh yeah. Was there anybody that you wanted to get on there that you just you guys couldn't lock down? Was there anybody you really really wanted that you can remember? I'll tell you the one I really wanted. I wanted to get Jack Nicholson for the feature that we you know that's recess. I'm sorry for the recess feature. I wanted to get Jack Nicholson. We didn't get him. Most of the time we got almost everybody we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Jack wasn't even Nicholson. that tough. Was Jack going to play Jack or was he going to play a different character? No, he's going to play the villain in the recess. And we wanted him to. Oh, okay. He said to us, basically he said, yeah, if you give me points on the show, well, we couldn't do that. We didn't have points ourselves. What is that so, point? What is points? It mean? means a piece of the show percentage of the oh. show points are a percentage of the show like you're going to make a percentage of the profit gotcha. that, that disney was never going to agree to that so we, we couldn't get him god damn it jack you make enough money yeah uh maybe it'll happen sometime down the road uh ben thompson wants to know um and i don't know if you were a part of this when it was going on so i apologize ahead of time but uh what are your thoughts on making the santa experience holiday episode oh that's um uh are we t- i'm con- we're talking about the rugrats santa episode or the recess one because we did sure. one on both and i and i i can't remember whether the santa experience i think that was a recess episode let me look it up <laughs> okay well, we'll come back to that one um, okay and then uh yeah I, i'm not sure i don't remember i don't remember a santa episode on uh on the Rugrats, but my brain's also not firing. It's, it's Rugrats. It's Rugrats. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I do remember it. Yeah. I can talk about that. Okay. I was, I'd, I'd forgotten that. Okay. We did, we did Christmas episodes of all these different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun. That was directed by a guy named Chuck Swenson, who was the, he was kind of the supervising production guy. He was like, he was not, think he was we were both producers on the show he was got kind of the guy rent he was an old-time animator who was kind of running the production of the show and keeping it in line because i was mostly creative he was mostly the nuts and bolts guy although he was a very creative guy and chuck directed that episode himself and he did a really fabulous job it was a really wonderful episode of directing the visuals of that show it was a great episode it was a lot of fun it was also fun how how the kids would react to, to christmas yeah. so so angelica's just worried that she was going to get a lump of coal that's the whole plot is really angelica learning to be nice a little bit right yeah. um and so that was that was it was a lot of fun it was a great episode i'm very proud of that and it was i, I think our first half hour up no no we did a half hour pilot it was a pilot was a half hour that the first show that we that we broadcast was a half hour and then that was a half hour episode and then that led directly nickelodeon said hey you guys did that can we do a, a jewish version of that let's do hanukkah and i said no 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 i'm jewish we don't do hanukkah is not what you want to do you want to do passover yeah. and so we did a passover episode which became famous and then after i left they did a hanukkah episode anyway yeah uh, so there you go. Since we're talking, since we're talking about doing a Jewish episode, you want know the first thing I. So I, I'm pretty sure I told you, but I work in the restaurant industry during the day. Um, so when I, when my mom was younger, uh, she used to clean houses, and when she would clean houses, um, where she came from, uh, my mom didn't finish high school. Um, she came from West Virginia, so. <clears throat> 
you know, there's a bunch of stereotypes and stigmatisms for for people to come from that area of the woods um but uh my mom was not i don't want to say she wasn't the smartest person because she was extremely smart just she just didn't finish high school right so she was doing a, uh, some cleaning jobs and then she worked for a jewish family and then she also worked for a mexican family and then i th- this is when i knew that man food is food is life right so every every Christmas we would do, or every year we would do like food. Like we wouldn't have like their t- traditional um, ham and stuff like that. Like we would have stuff that they, the ladies of the house would teach my mom whenever she would come over to clean and stuff like that. So the Mexican family had taught my mom how to make flautas, which is um, like a corn or flour tortilla. And then you put, you would do like refried bean cheese and raw onion, or you'd do like a little bit of ground beef or something like that. And then you'd roll it like a taquito and then you would deep fry it in the pan. Right. So that was a flauta. And oh. then when she worked for the, uh, the Jewish family, they had showed her how to make potato latkes. Right. So for fucking Christmas or Thanksgiving, we would have like flautas. We'd have potato latkes. We'd have turkey. Well, that's be, cool. Yeah. It'd be like the United Nations at the dinner table and shit. We'd have like all of these different. Good cultures. for your mom introducing yeah. you to all that stuff. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it was. It was really cool. So for like the longest time, the only thing I knew about Jewish people was the matzo ball soup that we would make and then the fucking potato latkes. So that was I know matzo ball soup. Great. Man. God, I love that. Oh, stuff. Man, it's so good. It's, it's especially this time of year now where it's starting. It's never fucking cold in Florida. So don't I don't want to throw that out there. But, uh, you know, it, it's starting <laughs> to get to that cooler temperature where you're like, oh, man, I can really go for a big old bowl of that right now um but yeah that's that's whenever i hear whenever i hear hanukkah whenever i think of like uh, whenever i hear somebody say hey i'm jewish like potato latkes at thanksgiving (laughs) that's That's cool that's good so we got two more here um Mm -hmm. now we're gonna stay away from the reboot question um so zach wants to know what was your proudest moment on the rugrats fitting way to end up or fitting way to end the, the podcast here. What was your proud? I kind of think it was that Passover episode. And the reason I was so proud of it is I got to tell a story about that had never been done on TV before. Apparently um, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there is, but I don't know about it. Certainly not in children's stuff. We got to tell a story about, about, about our background that was different from the background of what most kids see on TV. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting to do that. It was, it, it felt really good and it's had a tremendous effect on people. People come up to me and they said, you know, that's how I learned about Passover, whether they were Jewish or not Jewish. That's how they learned about this important holiday for this, this group of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of that. That's a, that's a really cool thing. I got to imagine that's a nice little feather to have in your cap. Um, you know, as, as we, as we end this, uh, I always like to say, like I said, I thank you for everything you've done and thank you for spending some time with me. Um, but is there anything that you're working on now that we can kind of push the fans as far as directions go like, Hey, so if you want to check something else out that Paul's working on, you can check me out here. You working on anything that we can. I'm working on something. It isn't on the air yet, but I will say that we're working on maybe bringing back recess. Ooh, Yeah. Man. So that's that's just a possibility right now. It's like glint in our eyes, but we're looking to maybe do that. So that's a thing people can be looking forward to sometime in the next couple of years. 
Now, if hypothetically, if this were to happen, is it picking up where the show and the movies left off at? Or is this a fast forward in the future type of thing? Or can you not talk about that? I think I'm not going to tell you that. Um, I, I think it's, wanting more. I will tell you this. It's not going to be the same as what it was. It's going to be different and different and yet recognizable and kind of fun. I'll leave it at that. And hopefully people will get to see it in, in, in not too long from now. That's my hope. I hope so, man. Uh, like I said, I, I love that show and I can't wait to have you and Joe on to talk about Recess because there's I, I get pretty nerdy on Recess. I loved this show. Uh, not not too many people uh, that, that I used to hang out with because a lot of people gave up cartoons right about sixth, seventh grade. I, I mean, I've been watching cartoons since I was fucking little and I'm still watching them now. So uh, <laughs> Recess, Recess has a special place in my heart. Uh, Excellent. I, I can't wait to talk about that one. But uh, if... Uh, if people want to come and say, hey, Paul, man, I really like what you do. Can they find you anywhere on the Internet, sir? You pretty much off. You know, I don't really have a present. I'm, I'm on Facebook, but I never even look at my page anymore. I'm afraid. I'm sorry about that. Good, no, it's probably a um, good thing, too. That shit's talking. You know, you know, my email people, if they want to get in touch with me, let them contact you and you can forward it to me. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. So if you if you, if you want to say hi to Paul. Man, this is going to open up a can of worms. But if you want to say hi to Paul, man, just uh, forward me some stuff and I'll make sure he gets your notes right. We'll be, we'll, I'll be that conduit that, that Angelica was between the two worlds with the babies and the... Uh, the there you go. Adults. There you uh, go. I'll, I'm I'll sorry. I don't have... I wish I, I should have social media presence, but I never... I just never got into it. That's I'm too good, old. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, fuck, man. I'm too old for that shit. But in today's day and age, in order for people to hear you and people to find shit like that, you kind of got to be on, on some kind of social media as I try to post and ghost is what I'm kind of going by. I put this shit up and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, eh, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I like it. So, um, <laughs> but Paul, man, it's been fun. Uh, I hope you had fun too. Cause I know I did. Absolutely. Um, he's been Paul. I've been Julian. It's been what's my head podcast. And this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.